The radio is one of the outstanding developments of the 20th century. With modern radio sending and receiving equipment, it is possible to establish communication instantaneously from any place at any time. From any place at any time. From any place at any time. Welcome to Old Takuno Radio. This is our Halloween special on Flowers of Evil. I'm Jared, and with me as always is the indefatigable Ink. Say hi, Ink. What's up, shitbugs? And with us today, uh, we are super pleased to have uh, 50% of the Taiku podcast uh, with us in the form of uh, Chris uh, from the Taiku podcast. So welcome, Chris. Fuck you. <laughs> Hello. And as you can see, my co-hosts are already in the spirit of uh, this wonderful program. So, uh Ink, uh, tell us a little bit about Flowers of Evil. Explain Flowers of Evil, Ink. I'll sit back and wait. Flowers of Evil is essentially about a uh, a middle school student who uh, has a very book-obsessed father and by way of him becomes also book-obsessed and wants to really seem a little more mature than he is, so he starts trying to tackle this really weird foreign literature um, he becomes obsessed with trying to understand it because he doesn't really feel he has a place in the town despite having a lot of friends. Um, he also has a crush on, of course, the most popular girl in class and uh, doesn't really set out to you know, become distinguished by knowing all these things or trying to know these things. He's just keeping it in himself and sort of brooding with the adolescence of puberty. And um, One day, he's in the classroom like finishing up cleaning chores or he had to go back to the classroom to get his book that he left in the desk which is the flowers of evil by charles baudelaire um and while he's there something drops in the back of the classroom and what happens to drop is his crush's gym uniform bag which has her worn gym uniform in it so of course being a pubescent boy he takes the uniform out and is looking at it when he hears a noise that startles him and he just sort of in fear you know stuffs the bag under his shirt in shame and just runs uh turns out that another classmate actually saw him do this and then she continues to blackmail him throughout the entire uh series or uh property um and the whole story revolves around feelings that develop between him the blackmailer and the uh, most popular girl in class, the crush. And it's very much an interwoven tale. Did I lose you, Jared? You still have nope, me. Nope. I'm here. I'm here. I was just on mute. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> I was, I was remarking about how uh, straightforward a plot this is and just how um, easy to understand. So, you know, really, really straightforward, very simple, very simple plot, not a lot of symbolism. It's it's really kind of a popcorn cartoon, really, because because technically it's it's not an anime because it's rotoscoped or, or whatever garbage. I think this is the second <laughs> this is the second episode in a row where we uh, shit on the concept of even calling things anime anymore. Um, oh, this this took major flack when it came out because of the rotoscoping. Yes. Oh God. Oh God. Yes, it did. Um, By fools who only looked at screen caps. I still Seriously. have I have so much residual anger and upsetness from from then. 
you know, like this is this is not a, a show you will critique because of its um its you know, really intricate animation or anything like that. It, it's a totally different kind of concept. Uh, but we can get more into that bit later. Um, let's let's talk a bit. Can we can we back up into like a really a really weird question? Who's Charles Baudelaire? Charles Baudelaire is one of the major figures in the symbolist uh, poetry movement, in which occurred in France, and which was a, a reaction to the English Romantics. English Romantics kind of put everything on a pedestal saying, you know, experience is the sublime. Whereas symbolists kind of tore that down and said, everyone who thinks experience is the sublime is hiding something. So symbolists were people who valued public versus private face. So there was this, you know, public persona and a private persona. The private persona was perceptibly darker, uh, more dangerous, uh, but it was kept in check by, you know, public uh, interactions. And uh, that's kind of what goes on in this in this series, and that's why he's the pro- protagonist's uh, uh, hero. Yeah, I would I would say like this whole series is just about you know people's masks they wear and 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 sort of the the ugly under underneath everybody. Uh, you know, it really. It really delights in the concepts that you just laid out, Ink. And since you're a poet, I, I wanted to like make sure that we we get a chance to talk about some of this stuff because it's like uniquely positioned for you to uh, to provide a lot of context. Oh, um, I will. I will. <laughs> so, but it's it's important to note that you don't need to know dick about poetry to really enjoy this series because really all it is about the horror of being uh, going uh, going through puberty. That's the entire series. Chris, what were your initial impressions of this show? Uh, Well, it's a trick question because this was back in the day when literally every manga that Vertical published was my favorite manga. Hmm. Um, So I had been reading the manga well before the, the anime was announced or released. I think that the fourth volume came out like a few days before the first episode aired. So in essence, I had actually already read the entire, (laughs) what the entire anime would cover unbeknownst to me at the time. And when the, the first episode aired for me, it was like, I don't want to say a watershed moment, but it was this incredibly profound moment where I felt something from um, an anime, you know, live action TV show, American, Japanese, whatever, so intensely in such an extremely long time. Everything about that very first episode um, spoke to me on a much, much deeper level than I had been expecting based off of actually knowing the story from the manga. Um, And that basically carried through the entire series. But I was... I was day one screaming and yelling on Twitter about damn fools quit looking at screen caps. The rotoscoping is great. It helps enhance the themes and the mood and the the tone of the show. Shut the fuck up and watch the goddamn thing. Um, this was at a time where I was very active on Twitter. So I yelled about this show a lot. It's uh, Chris is a veteran of the Twitter wars. Um, 
you know, and he's From late he's 2013. Since, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he's since retired. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, can, can we talk a little bit about just for, for our audience members that are not as familiar with animation techniques, um, what rotoscoping is and what kind of the effect that it has in terms of like visuals, because I think that's for people that, and and you probably have seen flowers of evil if you're listening to this podcast, but in case you're, you haven't um, let's, let's set the stage a little bit with what rotoscoping is because it really visually, it makes a tremendous impact uh, on the, the experience you'll have watching the show. It also makes a lot of sense because what rotoscoping essentially is, is painting over film. So they filmed this live action. They animated on top of the live action. So you don't see any of that. Um, and how that comes in, cause it's not pretty. It's not fully detailed. It's more abstractly beautiful. Uh, unfortunately, when you paint humans abstractly, you're going to get faces with no features in the distance that sort of wobble into existence as they approach the camera, uh, blurred visages and such, uh, uh, lip syncs that really don't match up, but more imply speech is happening as it is. Uh, but as this, as this coincides with the, the theme of the symbolists, again, you're layering. There is a visual perception, which is that animated layer, but there is the layer behind it which are the uh, live action actors you know the thing that struck me about watching this again and it, this was really the first full rewatch i've done since it premiered and and i was watching this thing week to week when it came out i was uh fascinated by it is uh despite the fact that it 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 has this surreal kind of take and and ink is absolutely right it's very the features are very indistinct you get sort of an impression of of someone's face and their mannerisms but at the same time because they're they're animating on top of live action film the movements and the 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 body motions in in the with the actors and the way they they're talking and their mannerisms are in fact very realistic because i mean it literally is live real. people moving it around. is real yeah yeah it is real and so it the the combination of of this is this very surrealistically real portrayal uh right down to i think how it was voice acted was much more what you would hear from a drama than what you would hear from an anime anime tend to have you know like like animated shows here in the states they tend to have a certain sort of voice to them that you know is kind of larger than life and the 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 acting in flowers of evil even though these were these characters were voiced by voice actors um Who were high school actors. kids yeah well the 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 people the the body people were um were high school kids i think but i don't know that i think the voice actors were actual voice actors oh okay um but um you know the way and the manner that it was it was acted was was much more of a of a realistic tone than what you would hear 
uh, uh, you know, on, you know, a, a shonen fighting show, for example. Jared, real quick, why do you keep saying voice actors? From from what I had learned about the show, it, it it is a drama. Like it was filmed entirely in live action. The voices you hear are the actors portraying each character. It, it was literally filmed like a drama, so that there's no additional ADR work that went into it. Yeah, looking at the Japanese cast on the uh, ANN page, there's no listing for separate voice actors. Really? Yes. Yeah. Hmm. I saw one. I thought. I'm vaguely remembering. Um. So I own all the Japanese Blu-rays for this show. It's one of two series I actually imported the entire uh, show from Japan. Mm, um, so and jealous. And there's yeah, okay. there's a I lot of not. really good yeah. um, special features on those Blu-rays that Sentai fucked us out of, um, and one of those is um, a lot of the actual footage before the rotoscoping was put in, um, and it was identical if I remember correctly. Hmm. Oh, hmm. Interesting. So I guess you know I'm looking at the the cast list. So I guess where um I mean it's kind of the answer's both. So these these folks were filmed but they're also voice actors. <laughs> like Yoko Hikasa is a voice actor. Yeah. Like she's done a bunch of stuff. They um, they might have cast yeah. people who had professional voice acting experience as the actors because they have experience, you know, obviously, the uh, or dramatically a lot of what comes through in this anime comes through because of the emotion, the 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 out of the ordinary, the non uh, complacent uh, juvenile tones that are just thrown into the camera. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm thinking about Nakamura specifically, but <laughs> there, there's a lot of good work all around. Yeah, I mean, it really it really is remarkable. Um, the the voice actors in the show, I feel like they, the actors, I guess you could say, in the show do just a really tremendous job of bringing the characters to life. And, uh, yeah, you know, uh, we mentioned earlier this is based off of a, of a manga. The, the, the anime itself is, is almost dogmatically loyal <laughs> in a lot of ways to, uh, the, the manga. It, what it, one of the things it does have a little license with is, you know, the manga, there's not really a sense of pacing. You, you kind of turn the pages <laughs> and, and drive, drive the speed of the story yourself. But, um, the, you know, the manga has a very deliberately agonizingly slow pace and not agonizingly in a, in necessarily a bad way. It's, it's, it's sort of to evoke the, the melancholy of youth and the, the slow stagnation that, the characters feel in the town that they're living in. And it's, uh, you know, in a lot of ways, I, you know, people, people want to dump all over the, the animation style, but I mean, in a lot of ways, it's a really wonderfully executed show visually. And I mean, just, just with the acting in, in general, 80% of the reason why this show works as well as it does is because of the rotoscoping. The visual look of the of the series conveys in a way the the isolation, um, the emptiness of the town, uh, 
the viewpoints of the different characters on the degraded state of the town or the prosperity, depending upon the, the mood. All of that was only possible because of the rotoscoping, because it it doesn't go full uncanny valley. Um, it's enough of a disconnect with the animation that it, it doesn't get into that really creepy uncanny valley area, but it obscures and abstracts everything to the point where it comes to life way better than it ever would have if it was a straight live action, um, especially towards the end of the series where um, the dream sequence in episode 10 or 11, 11, that, that is only possible because it was rotoscoped and they could do real animation mixed in with the uh, live action tracing. Or if it was full anime, it would have just looked like the manga. It would have looked like any other um, anime that's adapted from a manga ever. There would have been nothing to stand out. And then you would have just had the story, you know, say you still have the slower pace, but it doesn't come to life. The rotoscoping is such a very large piece that makes this anime live and breathe unlike anything else that has ever, ever existed. Now I'll chime in on uh, Jared's thoughts that were excellent about the the rotoscoping bringing about the the or the pacing bringing about that anguish uh, and the the languishing sense of time just sort of standing still. Um, the, that's a fantastic observation and uh, to add to Chris's observations, uh, some of the some of the uh, rotoscoping aside from actually enabling some of those flights of fantasy while also sort of that nigh uncanny valley effect um it allows the director to manipulate uh details that he wants in the town so Uh those those signs that are rusted over that are you know in in the very first chapter the the narrator calls it out as you know everything's rusting everywhere and you can certainly enhance that via whatever animation you're layering on top of it and you can make those details really stand out and while the people sometimes fade out and in, in of uh, extreme detail, certainly the the backgrounds and the environments are really paid a lot of attention for ambiance sake. And the, as you mentioned, the sign, um, if you pay attention to that sign um, about the woman turning into a dog or whatever the hell is being advertised on it, as the series progresses and um, the, the mental state and... Um, trouble if you will that Kazuga is falling into that sign gets worse and worse with the rust um over time he Mm. goes in and he's modifying these objects that are just background it's just scenery it's landscape and he is actively modifying it as the series goes on and that's just that's just another thing like you were saying you can't do that um if it was straight live action um but it's much more subtle than if it would be just rig, you know, full on animation. It's it, it everything occupies this really good in between that leverages the strengths of both mediums. Hmm. And who was it that brought up the pacing? Uh, I did. That that I I remember. This was my favorite thing to bring up about the series ever is because Hiroshi Nagahama directed this, and he also directed Mushishi. So if you want a tonal influence, bam. Um, that the, the fact that the, the first episode covers the first half of the first chapter, 
I still remember people screaming on Twitter about how god-awful it was. <laughs> and I'm just thinking, this is the best thing ever. What are you talking about? They're building mood. They're building atmosphere. I want to watch the fuck out of this series. The first episode is one of the most incredible things ever. And the, the fact, like, when I, when I was rereading the manga for this, and I was going through the first chapter... Yeah, no, the first episode finishes on page 19. I remember that specifically. Um, and then it just flows through. But but that moment, even in the manga, that would have been a perfect spot to, to end the chapter because that's that's your hook. That's that's the, the, the allure of something's not right. What it what is you know he in the manga you spend a couple panels where he looks at it the gym uniform and then there's a noise and then he runs off. It's all very quick inside of two pages. It's treated as simply an event that happens. And this is where I disagree uh, with Jared's statement that it slavishly um, is dogmatically faithful to the manga. I think it is almost entirely different from the manga because of those touches so in the manga, this is simply an event that happens. The real crux in the manga is him getting with Nakamura and her blackmailing him. Whereas in the anime, the way it treats that first episode makes it more intent on there's something inside Kasuga. It's something that's inside all of us at these, these ages, and it's starting to come, come to life. There's a sense of dread, foreboding. Um, something is not right. And you don't get that if the the hook is Nakamura blackmailing him. It changes the delivery of the message um, that the series is going for. That's a really good point. There's also the audio uh, audio layering on that because uh, Asa, Asa Chang, I think, do, does the uh, ending music. Asa Chang and Junrei. Yeah. Uh, and they do a phenomenally disassociative, uh, non-tonal poem um, that's just totally inhuman yet creepy as all hell. Um, and that they always start the music just slightly before the end of the episode, and the the the, the way the music invades your ears is just so perfect for the scene you're looking at and how they want you to feel or how they want you to drag down. And there's, there's also that, that flower rustle that they use to sort of do that awakening of the evil uh, intentions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel like the anime augments a lot of the elements that are, that are in the manga yeah. itself. Narratively, you know, plot-wise, it's, it's identical. But the... the, the the push behind it, the, the purpose is what's different. And it's such a, a drastic difference. Um, every time I revisit the series, it just stands out to me. I'm all for the anime. This is something where I believe the anime improves upon the manga a trillion fold. Um, I'm very upset that the world reacted the way they did to the first episode and we never get to see uh, the rest of the manga given this uh this treatment that's a good point to raise and you know let's 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 touch on that really briefly so flowers of evil 
the 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 twelve or so episodes of the 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 anime cover maybe a third of the the books uh, of the manga maybe, um, and the um, the story is actually quite a bit more expansive than what you get in the anime. So we're we've taken the unusual step uh, for our show anyway, uh, and we're actually going to talk about the manga uh, along with. Uh, discussion of of the anime um but let's let's keep let's keep delving into the anime for a bit and or well i guess we could delve into both because there's there's something we really haven't talked about a lot yet and it's probably another piece of context that would be helpful so we haven't really mentioned much about the author um the author is a guy by the name of shuzo oshimi and he's actually a gunma native which he's uh, that's the prefecture in which uh, a lot of Flowers of Evil, all of the, um, the animated series, uh, takes place. Um, his style of mangaka, or, or his his style as a mangaka, rather, uh, is is one where he's really interested in interior lives of people. He's really interested in the the darker side of people, the more perverted side of people. There's a lot of, 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 of sexuality exploration in all of all of the things that I've experienced so far uh, of his. Um, he's got uh, some other manga, uh, one that um, uh, was on Crunchyroll manga for a while, might, might still be. And I think it's, I know it's a television drama. I think it's getting turned into an anime as well, maybe. Um, it's called well, Inside, so. yeah, it's called Inside Mari. Um, there's another one, uh, I think that's an, uh, it's an earlier, uh, offering of his called Drifting Net Cafe. And then right now, um, there is a, I believe it's a current manga that's being published, uh, in the United States as well called Happiness. That's a bit more of a turn, like a direct turn into horror kind of, uh, genre stuff. Best manga currently being released in America. I said it. So Mike's sitting right atop it right now. <laughs> so why don't you guys talk a little bit about uh, Oshimi just uh, in general as an artist, and then let's let's use that as a backdrop to kind of move forward into the discussion of Flowers of Evil and the, and the themes and the, therein, or the themes that the the series touches upon. Chris, um, <laughs> so sadly, I haven't read Drifting Net Cafe. It was released on J Manga, and we all know what happened to J Manga. Um, um, <clears throat> but from what I have read from Flowers of Evil, Happiness, and um, the first couple volumes of Inside Mari, what his, his preoccupations are less manga driven. Uh, a lot of mangaka talk about their favorite mangaka and how much it's influenced them. Oshimi, he takes a more classical art background to to his approach and He's it's a really francophile. He is very much a francophile. Um and he he incorporates classic art as as a way of of generating composition. Uh, Flowers of Evil is really good at showing you this just by looking at the cover art across the original 11 volumes. The uh, omnibuses are garbage. Um, look online and look at all 11 covers. You will see 
um, four very different schemas. And with each um, template change that he does for the different sagas throughout Flowers of Evil, you can see his art getting more impressionistic, that, you know, that Francophile aspect coming in. And he's taken that and he's able to use his art style to show us different aspects of the interior. He's very, he seems to be very self-possessed with his high school years as a lot of uh, Japanese anime and manga uh, appear to be. But he's, he's solely focusing on what's wrong with adolescence, what's wrong with uh, being a teenager and growing up in this world. Um, mixed signals from the parental and your authority figures clashing with what's internal and how you deal with that. Um, Inside Mari is basically kind of like the ultimate crux of that because it's a, it's a body swap manga. So it's literally about these people that think they understand their world from their perspective. And they, they're immediately shown that the world is quite different. Um, that, they've been told wrong by the world kind of kind of the rude awakening that the entire world has been having the last few years but it's always been this way um it's just oshimi d taps into that for each of his series um and like happiness is a great example because a lot of the art i think it was like in volume four almost the entire volume looks like a collection of francis bacon paintings which is a complete um, 180 from the art style in the previous volumes, but it tells you something more about the character. Happiness has almost no dialogue in any of the volumes. It's very, very spare. It's all about telling you the story through the images, through symbols and abstract expression, uh, expressionism in his art. That's how he operates. Um, Flowers of Evil is more straightforward in a way, <laughs> but it's, it, it, it's where I feel that he started to really dive into those themes. That's why the different arcs have different art styles on their uh, covers, and in the, in the art matures and changes as the series goes on. This was where he started to experiment with this form equals content idea in a manga, which that's a, a an approach that a lot of movies make. Um, my favorite type of movies are the ones where uh, form equals content, uh, but it's not something you see in manga a lot. Damn, drop the mic there. Sorry, I ramble. <laughs> it's a fantastic take, and it, you're completely right. And I, while while rewatching this and then going back to the manga to reread it, it was. Oh, wow, this is just a... I, and I remember my first reaction when I picked up the first volume of this, I was expecting something awesome because it was uh, titled after a, a book of poetry that I love. And I was like, oh, this is going to be fantastic. And I opened it and I was like, wow, this is manga. <laughs> and, and then I kept reading because I was like, well, it's supposed to be really good. And then I got hooked like after the first couple of volumes or whatever. And I, I kept going on. And at the as the anime ended and blew me away... And as I, I kept going further with the manga, all I could think of was like, holy shit, this guy is progressing just like these, or the art is progressing just like the children. They're becoming fuller, more evolved, uh, more flushed out and experimental. And 
it was it was really fantastic just to see the way he works and some of the some of the risks he likes to take because uh, a little later in the manga he's telling someone about his experiences uh uh that we go through in the first uh, throughout the anime and literally all it is is a two-page spread of panels from the other manga volumes and then you cut back to the other person's reaction i was like that's fantastic <laughs> that is so self-involved that's fantastic <laughs> but his, his also not to be dismissed are his uh panoramas and his use of not only uh, two page half uh two page like top or bottom full spread but also just his his panoramas in general they're they're lovely just beyond jaw-dropping for manga quality. I kind of like the fact that his manga looks just, at first blush, kind of like conventional manga, but the subject matter and the material and everything else about it is so not conventional manga because mm. um, it's kind of a trap, <laughs> you know, but it's like a pleasant surprise when you're when the trap is sprung. It's like... Yeah, because I had that same reaction when I was when I was reading it at first. It was, this is very, hey, this guy animates in such a way that it looks like it could be easily adapted to an anime. All right, yeah, he, mm-hmm. he draws he draws in a way that you would absolutely see, uh, in an anime. And uh, you know, don't let that fool you though, because the 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 arrangement of everything, the the staging of the backgrounds, the um, the layouts he does are, are really superlative, and uh, it's he's he's one of my favorites uh, that I read nowadays. Uh, when I when I read manga, I don't read nearly enough anymore, uh, but he's he's absolutely uh, uh, the kind of mangaka who I I enjoy his visual stylings and I enjoy just generally kind of the the types of plots he does. Um, so with, with that kind of all as a framework, let's, let's dig a little deeper in, into Flowers of Evil, just from a thematic point. Um, I think probably at this point, we, we should probably safely say that, look, we're, we're probably getting into spoiler territory. So now's a good time to go and, and watch Flowers of Evil or read Flowers of Evil, uh, probably both. Flowers of Evil is streaming on Crunchyroll.com right now. You can watch the whole thing for free, or and I highly recommend this. Uh, you can buy it on Blu-ray pretty damn cheap. Almost every time Sentai has one of those eighty percent off sales, and you will get your money's worth. Even though it's rotoscoping, the sound, the clarity of the sound, and the sound is so important in this series. Even though it's almost not there, uh, you want it buy that blu-ray crank the volume and sit in the middle of a surround sound system holy shit you will get chills (laughs) the sound is really uh really impressive and it's understated until it isn't and and i you know i i love geeking out about that kind of stuff it's it's really well done i think but um anyway spoiler time uh everybody put your spoiler hats on um and and let's let's get into it so motherfucker uh, i'm from the taiku podcast i am a spoiler hat (laughs) (laughs) this is this is true this is absolutely true um so 
in terms of you know this is our Halloween episode, right? But Flowers of Evil. Can either of you guys make an argument for this being a horror anime? Yes. Of course. Chris, you're the guest. Why don't you go first? Well, this was this actually ties in pretty well to uh, a point that I wanted to, to make, and I didn't know when I would be able to get the opportunity to bring it up, so I will. Ta-da! Ta-da! The Flowers of Evil, um, the anime, is the only truly lynchian anime to exist i say this (laughs) i say this because a lot of people don't understand what lynchian truly means when i say the word lynchian i'm of course referring to the works of david lynch who everyone who follows me on twitter basically knows is one of my favorite filmmakers ever um when when people try to mimic lynchian motifs in cinema um, you see it, you see it a lot. Um, it's always, Ooh, look at this crazy image. Like the, 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 the camera will shake and maybe you'll get some blurry lines. Um, something super violent occurs, uh, that's combined with a very lighthearted or comedic beat, like in syncopation, these kinds of elements. Oh, he has crazy dreams. I recently watched a movie last month that is the epitome of not understanding what Lynchian is and trying to be Lynchian. Um, It's very glaringly obvious when you see it, and that's why a lot of people bitch and complain about it. What David Lynch's works are truly about is trying to understand uh, the truth of being a human. The, The underlying theme throughout all of his work is um, the the inherent dichotomy in life. It's best epitomized from uh, his franchise and my favorite thing in existence, Twin Peaks. It's it's right there in the title, Twin Peaks. Um, Throughout the entire uh, series, you are confronted with people who look one way but are very different um, in actuality. Exactly like what Inc. said about Baudelaire, um, the main catalyst for the Twin Peaks storyline is the the murder of the homecoming queen, most popular girl in town, Laura Palmer, who everybody loves, everybody cherishes. She was such a wonderful person. She did tutoring. She did charity. She did volunteer work. Greatest person ever. While the FBI and the local sheriff department are investigating investigating her murder, they find out that she was a prostitute. She did drugs. Um, she was involved in a litany of subversive, perverted, um, quote-unquote, wrong ways of life. And the way that David Lynch looks at this is he doesn't tell you what is right and what is wrong. It's like, it, it, this is just what it is. There are two sides to everything, the light and the dark, and they have to coexist. He's about showing you how they can coexist, how these different elements work. Yes, he uses dream logic a lot, but that's more of a narrative device so that he can show um, this dichotomy. You don't have to use a direct dream narrative to show this dichotomy, and that's where Flowers of Evil uh, comes in, because that is the entire show. 
the entire thing is steeped in mood, in atmosphere, where you are inside of the characters, or maybe you're not inside of the characters and you're, you're, you have an understanding of them. And as the show progresses, your understanding of that character completely subverts. Nakamura, she's the bitch. She's the one who walks up to the teacher and says, fuck you. Um, but she's also the one who, she's a very sensitive person who's hurting inside. The, the life is doing her wrong. And, and, and all of a sudden, she's not a terrible blackmailer. You feel sympathy for Nakamura because you understand her. A lot of people say that, oh, this is just good writing. This is how you write a three-dimensional character. But it's, it's more than that because it's a very distinct intent. The intent is to show all sides of the coin as well, it's equals. also going to show conflict between the sides of the coin, which yes. is the thing. Like that—that's how you eliminate the the importance behind the dream sequences. You make reality the dream, and what uh, Kasuga is currently conflicted with is: okay, he's got you know his crush on one side, he's got the devil on the other. He's his angel, his muse, his femme fatale versus the devil herself, and he's drawn to both because the devil represents a way out the angel represents his ideal and he's not worthy of either he's just being torn between the two and this is something everyone faces in some some motor manner throughout life uh, you want something you may not be deserving of it you may not be able to get it but you sure as hell can slide downwards exactly and, and so what does that have to do with making a case that flowers of evil is horror well if anyone has seen any David Lynch movies, most of them are, are categorized as horror, but not a single one of them is horror. They're all crime or, and mystery movies. None of his films are horror, but when he's showing you the light and the dark, the, 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 the truly rotten underbelly of society, of this world, like it's disgusting down there. He doesn't have any qualms showing you that in all of its disgusting nature. So that impacts your brain and you think this is truly horrifying. This is, this is a horror movie. It's like, no, you're just not looking at the world around you and he's showing it to you and you're not prepared for it. Literally, the show is, is just saying, hey, look, puberty is horror. Yes. This is how this is how I was wounded as a mangaka. <laughs> <laughs> and that's exactly all that Flowers of Evil is, exactly. It's scary because so you guys have, have mentioned a few times about, you know, how you know, much of a downer the show is, like oh the the it the, it just makes you feel bad or stuff like that. Whoa, whoa, I never said it made me feel bad. No, 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 not this, like this that. This makes me feel happy, happy, good, good. <laughs> I, I Every think, single time. I don't think it's a depressing series. I don't think it's a negative series. This show gives me so much optimism and, and joy from, from a purely, you know, sincere level. Um, I respond very well to the horrific acts because they are symbolic of going through puberty, of growing up. And I can see it, parts of myself in these characters as they're, they are externalizing the, the literal interior of what it's like to be um, a child. Um, 
you have internal struggles. You, your brain is pulling left and right. You don't understand. What if you were to literalize that as an outside object? It's scary. It's terrifying. It's perverted. It's evil. And that's what this show is, is literalizing. So therefore the whole show functions as a symbol for internal emotions. And it's scary to stare at that. It's scary to see the parts of yourself that you didn't associate with these types of actions, but you're like, no, I know where these kids are coming from. They, they might be doing the wrong thing, but I'm there with them. And that is internally terrifying for a lot of people. And it should be because that self-actualization is always terrifying. Mm. That's what I think of flower of the flowers of evil anime. It's, it is terrifying because it shows us that truth. It shows us everything. And it doesn't, it doesn't sugarcoat it. It doesn't make it look fanciful. It's ugly. It's dark. It's depressing. But it makes me feel optimistic about myself. Well said. What about you, Jared? You know, I, 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 I don't disagree with any of that. Um, I, 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 lo- I love this show for the walk through the dark side that it gives you. Um, you know, one of the things I like about it too is how much in the way that you guys have already talked about how there's a duality to everything uh, over the course of the, the anime, but especially over the course of the entire story of the manga, you, all, all of the, the characters, those three characters you encounter first, um, Psyche, Kasuga and Nakamura, they all kind of start out like id, ego, and super ego. You know, if Casca's ego and Psyche's super ego and Nakamura's id, but by the time that you you get through the first major shift in the, the story, those kind of things have almost flipped on their head, and now suddenly Psyche's the id and Nakamura's the super ego. And, and you know, by the by further, even further on, um, you know, Casca. Casca goes through some rather fascinating changes later in the story um, that are really interesting. But um, what that's one of the things I appreciated about it is it is, you know, I I don't know that I would call it a a horror show in the strictest sense, but I think it's a suspense show. It's a psychological. I don't know if I would even call it horror show there, but but it's a it definitely has a psychological suspense element to it. And, um, you know, the, the way that you, you kind of come through, it's almost, it's almost like you're, you're staring at, at, at yourself in a, in a, in a dark mirror. And, and then suddenly you're on the other side of the mirror, looking out at you, looking back at you, (laughs) if that makes any sense. Uh, that's the way it makes me feel, uh, in terms of the emotional response. Um, and you know, I, I think that what that what the anime can do so well is that it can render all of that context in a visual sense and in an, an, an oral audio sense uh, that you can't get out of the manga. Like the manga, I don't know that I think that the the anime is better than the manga uh, in this case. Um, I appreciate the heck out of the anime for 
for what it does. Um, but you know, uh, part of part of why I don't know that it's better than the manga is we don't get to see the whole thing done as an anime. So it, it's almost it's almost unfair to me to really compare them. But okay, so we'll say the first third or the entirety run of the anime and the first six volumes of the manga. Three and a half. Yeah, it's like three and a half. It's not even six. <laughs> That's what's so crazy. Like it's, it's, it's so dense that that you can get a good twelve episodes out of it. And they could have gotten another twelve episodes out of it, and then that would have been six volumes. Like it would have, it would have been just about exactly where it would want to be. I think um, it, it actually does end. It's well, I have the vertical. I only have the vertical releases, and the material in the anime does stretch through six. So that that's only the that mon that weird montage in the final episode that yeah, yeah. that he yeah the the director used that as his declaration of wanting to don't count that it the story ends three and a half volumes in you just you just see what happens the the rest of the following mm. three volumes in that five minute montage that nobody would ever understand unless you read the manga. <laughs> Exactly. But that, so the first three volumes and the entirety run of the anime, would you be able to make a, uh, uh, tit versus tat, uh, declaration on that? Mm. Fuck. Yeah. <laughs> I know you can shut <laughs> up. <laughs> I can too. I want to hear Jared. Here, here's my thing. Yes. The, the, the anime does some things visually that are very impressive and very interesting. The way it can control pacing, I think is really great. That's a, advantage of the medium i still think oshimi does some some great great work of framing up the visuals to give you a pretty strong impact that that to me resonated quite strongly so i don't i i I would consider i would consider them equal i don't know that i would consider them superior one Hmm. superior to the other i think it's a different experience i I don't even think i don't even think it's right to compare them honestly definitely different i do i do like oshimi's uh sense of juxtaposition between panels because while you really can't control pacing well i'm horrible about controlling my own pacing through a mangaka's work i should say um i really did have to take the time to stop to appreciate what oshimi was doing but i think that was more the content and the symbolism behind what he was doing he does a lot more than most mangaka that way, uh, or at least mangaka that I have read, which I have not read many, um, and I appreciated that. But the the anime also directly incorporates uh, more poetry than the manga for, from the start, which get which lends to the mood. Um, and I think, it, like like you said, that controlled pacing, which to me makes it. Uh, also more of a horror as we were speaking to before uh the scoring and the silence and the pacing totally make the atmosphere that of a horror uh horror anime um but you know that that slice of life you don't see the killer until the last 10 minutes sort of horror like babadook or something like that um but they they there's certain scenes where like that the classroom scene uh end of episode seven um where praise be yeah the climax and every single definition of the word um that is i think three panels in the manga and it is five solid minutes if not more in the anime and it's it's just a celebration of chaos and my god i still remember twitter just going okay now i'm watching <laughs> <laughs> 
I, as much as I love that scene, I love the scene that comes after it more. Oh my! Where yeah, where it just they're just walking together, holding hands, and there's just nothing. There's just silence and walking, and this very low atmospheric sort of backing audio, mm. um, and that's it. And I loved that so much after that because you know while it's you know the, the, one of the interesting things about Nakamura and Kasuga's relationship is that it's very it's very unconventional in the sense that it's it it's these are two like like twisted little teenagers but they have this pure platonic relationship that's just the purest most innocent thing and you know though they feel you know Kasuga does you certainly get the impression that Nakamura does though they 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 have this rather potent you know sexual tension between them um their actual relationship is this very platonic innocent kind of pure affection for each other um, which is interesting because that's the kind of relationship Kasuga wanted with his crush, um, you know, the the school idol, uh, and um, that doesn't happen. <laughs> so again, you know, back to back to perspectives shifting and and things, you know, down being up uh, in in that Lynchian manner. Uh, there, there you go. What I also wanted to make point was uh, we had discussed how. It was uh, really dogmatically faithful to the uh, source material in terms of certain shots and panels. Um, but that whole scene that Jared just mentioned, that is fantastic, that bridge crossing scene, that's not in the manga. No, no, it is, technically. It is. It's, it's, the, it's, it's the first it's like page. It's, it's the first page of that chapter. Um, three or four very... Uh, rectangle it's, it's, panels it's very short yep. it's uh, very very short i missed it and I, I missed and it. i remember i remember timing my reading of the manga so i would watch that episode and read that part of the manga like really close together and i remember being so disappointed that that was that short in the manga because in my mind i felt and experienced it the way it was in the in the in the anime so like that is one very concrete instance of where they took the source material and really extended it into something special um and uh yeah like the the direction of that of that show is just it's just phenomenal and uh to just go on beyond that what i uh, the only thing i think i don't like about the animated series what they did with the source material was building on that uh post bridge crossing sequences because they kept that long shot going for several different scenes and i know a lot of people love that they did that but i really thought that bridge scene nailed it and they really didn't need that long walk home like i think after they cross the bridge if they just split into their separate directions it's like okay you've totally made your point there i i fully understand what you're saying um so one of the things that has strangely happened to me as i've gotten older i love soaking in uh, my media a lot more. And so a lot, a lot of the, the recent horror movies um, that are very critically acclaimed and rightfully so, cause they're amazing. 
they're all super slow paced. It's we we've really turned onto this slow burn um, style of horror filmmaking, and I find myself loving that to absolute pieces. And being a Lynch fan, you have to also love love that. And the fact that they keep it on longer, longer, and longer after that bridge sequence, yes. The, the anime sets that tone so well so that you can fully understand where their relationship is now, this bond that is formed between them. And you've, you get it more than you do in that one page in the manga and you sit with it and you're just in awe and you feel for these kids and you just say, this is right. This is perfect. They can grow. They, they've found something in each other that's good for them, even though it's manifesting in negative ways in the real world. Um, I got it. And then, and then the anime says, no, you think you got it. Sit with it more. Enjoy it. I, I, I really like it where you're sitting in an atmosphere. I, I'm, I'm not at a point in my in my life where my, the media that I greatly appreciate is plot driven. Uh, Twin Peaks is a great example of this. David Lynch dedicated an entire episode to him telling the audience, guys, quit asking me to move the plot forward and get to the good stuff. This is the good stuff. Sitting with these characters in whatever mundane scenario that they're in. Um, if they're staring at the beach, just sit there for five or 10 minutes and look at the beach with them. Um, that is my fucking jam. So the longer and longer they walked after that bridge, the deeper my connection got with them. I didn't need to just understand a piece of storytelling to progress the narrative. I wanted to walk the entire way with these kids and it was beautiful the entire way because that was its purpose. Not, not the, the plot driven status of it where you understand their connections and you get a little bit of visual beauty. It's about just sitting with them because that, that, that episode seven is incredible. That is probably the greatest episode of anime in existence, in my opinion. Right, seven or eight, because seven is seven culminates with the the, yes. the the classroom scene, and yes. then eight starts the bridge walking. Yes, that I I, I say what I mean, sir. Okay, <laughs> I think the way that I kind of felt through that emotionally was that you know both of them were trying to stretch that moment out as long as they possibly could because it was sort of a it was sort of a dreamlike moment for them both that they didn't want to wake up from and then have to go and face reality afterward and 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 the drudgery of life afterward because that was the first time in their lives that they felt free uh and uh I felt that you know it was a long moment but but I felt like you know, kind of like Chris I felt like it was worth staying with them in that moment uh and, and I just felt it was beautifully done. It enhances episode seven, I think, because because if you want, it, it doesn't work week to week, but if you marathon it, the 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 emotional state, the kind of high that you're in at because of the end of episode seven, you don't want to to just like that Jared said, that's what the characters are doing. You don't want to just jump to the next plot thing. You think you do, but you don't. Sit in it. Be there in that moment. Here's the thing. A, it's not all about plot, and rightly so. Um, 
my only dislike of that extended scene is sort of this internal turmoil where it's like, okay, you know, I, I, as I said before, I get it. You want to move on. But if you look at it as a sexual climax between as Jer- what, Jer- what Jared said before was two purely pl- platonic people, which it's not, this is, this is symbolism for sex right there. This is an explosion of come all over the classroom between these two lovers and that walk home. That's the awkward waking up in bed moment. Or you could say the bridge scene is the falling to sleep together after uh, a huge sex capade. And then the walk through town is that awkward walk of shame back to their two houses. And I like, Oh, I don't get that at all. I I, I get where you are. Hold on, let me let me let me continue because Jared had said, you know, it's a uh, it's that you know that loving uh, relationships that's building between them, and you said something else. But man, I just got the opposite vibe. I was like, I, I, I am sort of itchy for the scene to end already because this is uncomfortable. But if you take that within a, a sexual context. It's totally that just that, oh, this isn't what I wanted to have happened. This is what I wanted with Saiki instead of Nakamura. And now I've betrayed her with all these, like, uh, the, the, this explosion of emotions, even though, you know, those weren't the emotions he wanted towards Saiki. See, I don't think, it, I don't think, I don't think it's awkward at all. I think this is the, the post, post-coital cuddle, to, to, to carry your analogy, which he, I, I he think is very spot on. <laughs> no, absolutely. That's what the, that's what's happening in this scene is they have now grown together. He's not trying to get away from her during that scene. He's not having the thoughts about um, him betraying Saeki. He's in the moment with Nakamura. They've created that bond. It's the post coital cuddle. The next day when he shows up in school in his whole morning, that's the awkward. That That's when he woke up sober the next morning. <laughs> but the first half of episode eight, they're still drunk and they're cuddling because that was the bomb, yo. <laughs> yeah, I guess it's important to note that by that point in the plot, um, Kasuga is actually dating Psyche. And so... <laughs> The there there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of um, there's a lot behind that, <laughs> but um, you know the the really awkward thing that that kind of happens is he's just had this incredibly powerful emotional connection with this per this other person, and now he has to kind of pretend to be you know, a someone that he feels is worthy of psyche. Cause he still has this sort of internal turmoil where he sees her as this, this, you know, angel from heaven, basically. Uh, and then on the other, other flip side of that, he has to, to, to feel guilt about not being able to be that person for her. And, and, and then he has to, to kind of wrestle with his emerging at this point feelings for, for Nakamura. Uh, and, all of those things together uh, and the way that those are all kind of layered on top of each other is, is just really great drama. And the way it's set up is, is really, is really well done. And like Oshimi there just, just killing it on. And he's really good at maximum awkwardness for his protagonists, putting them in, in like whatever, 
whatever the most awkward situation you can think of for those protagonists to be in at that moment, he's going to think of that and then do something even more awkward. Uh, and and that's kind of what he does to Kasuga all through this initial half or so of the story of Flowers of Evil. I mean, you, you on one hand, you, you want to say that he's cruel to Kasuga, but at the same time, it's all internal struggle like bad shit doesn't actually happen to this kid so it's just (laughs) he he's really hard on himself is what oshimi's trying to say i will side with that we've officially i think gone through the end of the anime uh or anime uh anything else you guys want to say about uh comparisons between the manga and the anime uh, up until this point or the anime in general or the manga in general from a comparison standpoint, um, the, the anime completely blows the manga out of the water most of the time. But one thing that I thought was really interesting is how one of the standout moments from the anime, the dream sequence in episode 11, it's actually a little more beautiful in the manga. Oshimi's way of choreographing the flowers as they're circling around Nakamura, even though we're seeing them in a series of still panels, something about the way that he choreographs that enhances this interior beauty from the, the art and the story that when you see it in the anime, it's really cool. It's, it's gorgeous. It's one of the best things. Um, I just absolutely love it. And the way the flowers swirl is very striking but it doesn't change the overall picture like it does in the manga. It's, that's just that's mm. one moment it, it, between the, the two that I'm constantly impressed with how the manga um, handled it like just as well. Yeah, there's this great sense of implied motion in the manga, and all, every single petal is sort of a character in, in those few panels. And the, uh, the anime, I think, it, it seemed very CG vortex. It was still like a really good scene. But it was it was obviously CG Vortex, and I was just like, ah, I mean, still awesome. The color palette was fantastic, and the the pacing and the music and uh, the the just the setup of the scene in general. But I'll, I'll go along with you that the the manga definitely has more life to it. It's just gorgeous, but yeah, I mean, I I, I would never disparage. Uh someone to not read the manga and watch the anime instead because i mean you you got (laughs) you got seven more volumes of story um that go to some really really great places but i that's really i mean the manga is gorgeous the manga is incredible and i love it to pieces but if they were able to animate the whole thing i i really don't foresee myself giving a rat's patootie about the manga um if they were able to animate the whole thing but they didn't so i'm i they're both equal and you you absolutely would not be disappointed if you did the manga instead of the anime or the anime instead of the manga it's just so much more to intellectually chew on when you take them in together i think they, they because they do tell different different themes within the same plot it kind of creates a, uh, oh, I can't remember the geometrical shape, but it, it creates this really neat Oreo sandwich where you're in the middle between two different stories that are being told uh, the same way. 
always take them together. Every time I rewatch it, I I re I reread it. So. Yeah, that's kind of what I was I was gonna say too. Is to me, doing them doing them both is is absolutely uh, I think the way to go. You you do get a slightly different experience uh, from from one to another, uh, depending on uh, you know what your preference is, but but really do both. Um, you'll you'll get it. You will get a slightly different impression. Uh, I I like the the anime quite a bit. Um, I because the manga is the complete story. Uh, I just and I literally just finished reading it again this morning. It just. Um, to me, I just I like that better overall because it, um, it's it gets really beautiful. It's mm. unreal how 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 good it gets. Um, but uh, but but Ink, what what are your thoughts on that front? I, I would totally agree with both of you. It's uh, it's a companion piece, uh, and really, you really should read the manga first uh, because if that final episode of the anime is to mean anything to you you have to go at least uh, a couple volumes beyond what the story covers in the anime. And the way I think Nagahama manages to fit all the feels into that collage of imagery um, towards the very last few minutes of the final episode and ending on the image he ends on, which is just that that outheld knife um, and just that flurry of... Uh, character voices over this uh, over the the pummeling images it really is a it's an effective end i found to that arc um but it, it will leave you wanting more and thankfully for that there is the manga but yeah they're, they're companion pieces that montage man that sends chills through my whole body when you see the baseball bat being drug across the cement i'm just like oh my god where is that episode i need it yeah. i almost feel like the the art the the directorial intent is for you to have read the manga like i i i feel like that's what the director kind of expects and because of that, and I mean, then that's sensible, I guess. But because of that, he he then has some freedom to maneuver and and offer you a different experience than one if you were just watching a straight adaptation. Which, despite it being quite loyal to the script of the of the of the manga, um, y- you know, it does it does have some notable visual differences. I don't know if I'd agree necessarily with that like I, I would say it's, it's good to have read it and watched it and you will get more from uh more from the difference between the two by doing that but i i, I wouldn't think because if, if i were to put this in like fma and fma 2 uh terms fma 2 literally expected you to have watched or read the first few volumes or first few episodes of the previous anime because it skips over certain scenes this anime, uh, this anime adaptation, does not skip over anything, but it does make it its own. So I don't, I don't think it's really expecting you to know anything from the previous thing, except for that final episode, which it totally does. Just my take on it, though. Yeah, yeah. Um, so we've talked a lot about the the relationships, particularly between Kasuga and Nakamura, but let's let's dive into uh, the the characters of that first arc because I I really want to hold off talking about the second half 
the second half, I guess, uh, you could say, of the story until we've kind of talked a little bit about the the, the principal three from the first half. Um, Ink, who's your favorite of Kasuga and and uh, Psyche and Nakamura? Or you could say it's the fuzzy-haired dude, because, you know, why not? Oh, dude. Yama, uh, Yamada. 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 I know. Yamada, yeah. I loved Yamada. I also loved his creepy sidekick. I love that the oh, sidekick had a sidekick. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I saw you in the square. Uh, uh, you know, actually, my my diehard favorite is the dude with the noodle shop who is on the way to the mountain. He has, like, two lines, but he... That is a deep cut. <laughs> I have I had him as my Twitter avatar as soon as he appeared in the anime. <laughs> uh, but Not many people come by here on bike. That's why I remembered them. See, you remember his line. See, <laughs> he's that impactful. Um, uh, do you have a favorite I between feel, the three of them? You know what? I'm gonna say Saiki's mom, because that. That actress was like on point, and I loved how they animated her because it was such a mom. Like, oh hey, this is the first boy to come to Psyche's home. Like, I know you're like really nervous, and I'm just gonna like help you up to her room and say, take your time. <laughs> yeah, but I, I thought that was great. I, I, as, as far as the three main characters go, I think I really like Psyche, and not because she's like the class beauty or anything, but she is. She's that typical like oh she's also the bookish nerd and she's beautiful she's popular but she's just as empty as the rest of them and she kind of gets coaxed into wanting to be the bad person um like the, all the characters are just this state of flux about who they are and can be and will be um so they i can't really really put any one above the other but when psyche lays down on the bed holding the flowers of evil book with this huge smile on her face and her pink pajamas and her pink room on her pink bed. I was just like, that's cool. I think it's, I still think it's, it's extremely fascinating that of the three characters, Saiki is the one who turns out to be the absolute worst, right? The <laughs> absolute fucking worst. When, when her story arc ends, you're like, well, Things aren't going to go very coming. well for her. <laughs> <laughs> and how they lead that off in the next part. I was like, oh my god, really? <laughs> oh. What about you? Favorite character? Who's you? Whoever answers. Oh, alright. Um, I actually do have a clear favorite, and that's that's Nakamura. Hands down. Um, a, I love her character design. Um B, I, I love the the actress who plays her. Um, C, I love Nakamura. Um, <laughs> she yells good. <laughs> I uh, no. I, when I look at the three characters, they are they are the three archetypes of the outsider and how the outsider deals with normal society. All three of them. Um, Sayaki is not an in girl. She she's an outsider who deals with it in a different manner um nakamura she she reminds me a lot about myself so does kasuga but 
when it's revealed just how how much pain she's feeling inside that that her actions she's not a terrible person she's not evil or rotten she's just scared and alone and she doesn't have any role models i'm just like you know i can't fault her for anything um and the way that she's able to manipulate the situation and the way that Oshimi portrays her in such a flat manner. Um, I don't mean flat in any negative context, how he, she is portrayed consistently. Um, but you can see the, the internal changes, the internal dialogue. Um, and the fact that the entire manga ends with her perspective of the first chapter um it's just i i think i think the whole series is about her i she is the crux of the series not kasuga kasuga is the the conduit with which we go down this journey of discovery for nakamura and that type of reality um oh God, that's so she important. makes she makes the series for me i definitely feel like Nakamura is the soul of the series and maybe Kasuga's the heart of the series um, if, if that makes any sense um, it, the Nakamura to me is, is the most fascinating I think my favorite is Saiki because of her because of her corruption basically <laughs> um, I, I feel like she she has a very fascinating turn uh, and it's the kind of turn, you know, the, the kind of girl Psyche is in the way she's set up in the manga. She's so archetypical of every kind of manga or anime. Like that, that girl is in every, is in everything. Um, but you never see that girl kind of just kind of get turned inside out and, and be just, just absolutely you know just just absolutely vile in a lot of ways and and really really kind of a fall from grace i guess if you want to go with the whole the whole angel kind of motif that that kasuga sees her as you know she she goes she's kind of a casualty of this whole story like she goes from being a relatively well-adjusted kid to yeah under underneath there's some stuff going on, right? Like she doesn't, she doesn't want to be the person that everybody expects her to be, but I feel like she could have been a different person had she not cut into this whole thing with Nakamura and Kasuga. And because of her getting kind of caught up in that, you know, she really ends up kind of being used by them both in a way. And then that damages her to the point where, the last time we see her in the story, except for the very last time, but the last time we actually see her in the story, it's it's kind of one of these things where she is she is never going to fully recover from the her time with Kasuga Nakamura. Like she's she has permanently lost innocence in a way that that both of them actually end up retaining by the end of this story. Uh, and, and it's really tragic. So I think she's my favorite for that reason. 
I completely disagree. I completely disagree with that, but I, I, I understand why that makes her your favorite. I, I think my reading of Saeki is that she she is everything that not she is the one that Nakamura was looking for. She is her type of outsider, her archetype, she is truly a, and purely a disgusting creature. She is what she ends up becoming, that is her true self. It, what Nakamura is trying to get Koska to do is to peel off this mask, and he's like, "I'm not wearing a fucking mask. I don't know who I am." <laughs> Saeki, she's the one who had the mask. She's the one who was perverted and and fucked up, but she did such a good job. Her coping was okay. What do I have to do to make people like me? Because I don't like myself. I detest myself. I have all kinds of image and self-esteem issues to where she's going to have this reaction that she does. She's not corrupted. She has her mask peeled away. This is who she always was. And I think that's more, more, more of a, a profound effect on Kasuga when you take in that that's kind of his realization from that experience too. It's like, she was my angel, but she was the devil purely. Well, what's great about this this entire series is everyone is wearing masks. I disagree with the fact that you say Kasuga wasn't wearing a mask because he was. He was trying to be the intellectual, but he was forcing it down his own throat to use his own words. Um, but so everyone was wearing some sort of false thing, which is the point of the in the entire uh, series uh, of books or the uh, animation. But uh, you know, largely, I do like your read that Nakamura was intentionally seeking or should have been seeking sake uh, because yeah she is the most obvious example of what she uh, nakamura was looking for but she wasn't initially to jared's point because she had to have that sort of corruptive influence to start and whereas um kasuga had that moment where he fell where he picked up the the gym uniform and ran that was the 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 chum in the water that Nakamura just like swam to, because uh, that was the first first sign of someone breaking down. So she went after it. Saiki was much more hidden, and she needed something much greater to draw her into this whole mess. And that happened to be uh, Kasuga. So, you know, everything had to be in place, but Saiki couldn't have gotten, uh, or Nakamura couldn't have gone after Saiki until she got some sense of what was really wrong with her and only Kasuga could really expose what was wrong with her by sort of getting to a stage uh, of openness with her that no one else could get to. They're really good characters. They're such good characters. (laughs) Thank you, Oshimi. So let's now dive into that second half. Chris, succinctly. <laughs> You're asking him wrong already. Oh. <laughs> I'm challenging him to grow. So <laughs> succinctly, wrap up for us from the end of the anime to the end of the first half of the manga. So that outstretched knife that Ink mentioned, get us to that point. And please, during your summation, use the term tent of panties. <laughs> uh, wait, wait, you want me to stop at the, the end of volume six or, or go all the way to the end of the series? 
this has two halves, right? There's everything before the time skip, then there's everything after the time skip. And it's not quite exactly in the halfway point of the manga, but it's close. So get us all the way to the point right before the time skip. Got it. Succinctly. Succinctly. After the events that ended the anime, Kasuka realizes that he cares for Nakamura and he wants to try to help her. He sees that she's hurting. He sees the pain and he sees what she saw in him. He was supposed to be her savior. So he goes and he begs to her to make a contract with him. She ignores him. So he escalates his quote unquote perverted behavior. This includes raiding the girls' laundry room and a bunch of other sex crimes that were popular in 1980s comedies. Um, <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> this is a beautiful summation so far. <laughs> he gets Nakamura to make a contract with him again. Their purpose is to bring the other side to the town, to transform this dull, meaningless, disgusting town to the other side, to reveal the true self of the town. This culminates in Nakamura beating Kasuga's dad in the leg with a baseball bat. Um, This involves them running away because they have been caught because... Saeki's friend Kinoshita learns the truth from Saeki. Saeki goes to try to win Kasuga. She says, why did you pick Nakamura? He says, because that's what his purpose is. Saeki rapes Kasuga. Saeki sets fire to a field. And now the truth is coming out because Saeki's in trouble. Kinoshita tells the rest of the world. Um... So Nakamura and Kasuga then decide that the only way that they can truly bring the other side is to kill themselves. So they make a suicide pact at the summer festival, go to commit suicide together, but at the last moment Nakamura pushes Kasuga out of the way before they light themselves on fire. But Nakamura is saved at the last second. Smash cut to a time skip. Boom. Saved by her dad, I think. To be yeah. specific. Yes, saved by her dad. While all the while Saiku watched on television. Couldn't tell what that look was. Was that was that worry? Was that concern? Was that deliciousness? What 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 was that look on her face? Well, you find out conveniently in the second half. I know. She was crying during it, so you know, there there was there was a little bit of stuff going on. But yeah, she straight up tells you <laughs> later. <laughs> um what she was feeling, um, or she tells she tells she tells you what she wants you to believe anyway. Yes. Okay, so I'm going to set up the second half of the manga, uh, where the whole thing reboots and Kasuga is once again attracted to the most popular girl in the class, who is also a bookworm. And right, hang on, hang on. Sorry, three years pass and now he's a second year high school student. Oh, there you go. In a That's different prefecture, they've moved to the complete opposite moved. end of the island. See, I'm you got to you got to set up the lo- set up the logistical parts, <laughs> then get to the emotional part. Okay. So what they said, then what I said, then now. <laughs> Ta-da! Right. So let's talk about let's talk about my other favorite character because I just think she's adorable. 
um, and that's Aya uh, Tokiwa, who is Kasuga initially catches is it, it, she catches Kasuga's attention, not because she's this tall, very pretty, very popular person, which in a way makes her a bit like Psyche, but there's mannerisms and 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 things about her that remind him of Nakamura, and you know through. I really, I'm going to preface this with all this. I really love this part of the story a lot, especially after the the part of the story we're just coming out of where it's really, you know, tough to get through watching these characters go through all this pain. And, and Kasuga, by the time you reconnect with him and he's, he's you know, matured a bit, um, he's kind of like a war veteran. He has this this sort of shell-shocked sort of personality. And disheveled vision to match, too. Yeah, he has almost this... He, he almost is, like, walking around in a haze. And he actually has friends, which his <laughs> friends in middle school were kind of fake friends. Uh, that he, he actually has cultivated real friends, but but it's, it's almost through being incredibly unobtrusive. And so Tokiwa comes around, and they, through a chance encounter... Kasuga notices that she's reading books and she's not just reading any book. She's in a bookstore reading flowers of evil and it draws him to talk to her, which kind of kicks off their whole relationship and kind of pick back up from there. Well, I'm not going to go run over plot, but I, I will say that reintroduction and the way they did it, you were refreshed by it. I actually sighed and I was like, really a reboot? Um, and it's a reboot for a very specific reason, because they're setting up uh, Kasuga to go through um, sort of a flashback and to relive and uh, try to undo what he did through current rela- uh, current evolving relationship. Um, but I, as soon as I saw him, like, oh, okay, it's the pretty girl. Oh, she's a book nerd. Oh, great. Um, the, the, it, all bells just rang of convenience. And the kicker was her reading uh, Flowers of Evil in the shop. But I love the panel work on that. That page is a four-panel shot of him looking at her in a bookstore, then sort of zooming in uh, a little closer, a little closer. And the final panel is just that Flowers of Evil right in her hands. And I thought that was really great work on Oshimi's part. Um, But I really didn't like the setup at all to the second half of the manga. Uh, Yeah. See, I I, I kind of saw all that, like the first time I read it, I saw all that with, okay, Oshimi is going to screw Kasuga over somehow. So like this is going to be, like she's going to look like this perfect human for Kasuga, and then it's going to just blow up in his face, and, he, and something horrible is going to happen. And, you know, it's kind of weird, because that doesn't happen. <laughs> mm. She's his, she, she is the, the one that he was looking for. She's the one that's good for him. And she changes him. This is, this is him improving. This is him not just recovering from the depressed rut that he was in. Um, this is him excelling. He's finally going to be the best Casca he can be. Well, he's finally not going to be a complacent Casca. He actually takes action, which I loved about this Casca in the second half. 
because they're they're the the woman he he is attracted to has a boyfriend who you know he gets on his nerves because he's the first uh, Kasuga is the first to go into uh, what was her name again Tokyo her last name's Tokiwa yeah Tokiwa uh, he goes into her room and you know the boyfriend doesn't interrupt but he shows up and they all you know uh, Tokiwa decides that the two should meet to clear up any misunderstanding instantly which is totally against anime and manga rules obviously you have to have a misunderstanding but no this negates it by introducing them all and introducing more conflict because you know everyone is hiding their actual feelings underneath because no one's telling the truth obviously so everyone suspects the the opposite um which was yeah boyfriend is like hyper territorial um you know they they you know he he somehow catches wind that he that she's like taken a friend over to and like you know like i guess he somehow knows that uh you know they've gone up in the room while he's looking up in the window and he sees them i think is what happens Mm. and and then there's this scene where you know it seems like oh hey look we can we can like move past it why don't you come hang out with us and you know, Casca's in this incredibly awkward situation for himself where he's sitting in this room full of, you know, normal, well-adjusted kids talking and, like, like talking about the way it's always framed up in this story is, is when people are doing that, it's like this empty gesture type thing and nobody's really being authentic or anything. And um, over the course of him hanging out with uh, Tokiwa's boyfriend and um, Tokiwa's... Uh, uh, boyfriend's circle of friends, which of, you know, he's clearly the ringleader of this circle of friends that, that they're hanging out with. And, and he, he slowly starts kind of pressuring Kasuga to talk about who he's attracted to. And Kasuga isn't like Kasuga kind of, you, you get the sense Kasuga is, is beginning to understand that he is attracted to this woman, but, but he's not ready to even really admit it to himself, let alone anything else. And and Tokiwa is is somewhat protective of of Kasuga right away, and she actually takes up for him and causes a bit of a rift with her boyfriend, and you know it it gets to this point where, like Ink was saying a minute ago, you know their relationship goes in this direction where Kasuga does some very like like 1980s teen movie type shit and like really takes charge and like like does some courageous romantic heroic stuff which is like very unkasuga like but it's so refreshing mm. and such a different shift from the first half of things that it it really I really enjoyed that so much after getting through that first that first half of the story where he's just really struggling with himself let me ask you though, is Casca actually attracted to this new girl, or is he just attracted to the books that she has and that attraction to the books that she has? Because he is, uh, after moving from, uh, after being transplanted from his former town to the new one, he has abandoned all his books. He's stopped being a book nerd. He's stopped reading. He's now just a normal high school student, uh, and he hasn't touched a book in ages and God, I love Oshimi for this. There's a panel where there's a picture of Kasuga swiping his finger across a page. And there's just like a, a swip sound effect that's Mm -hmm. labeled on there. And I felt that 
because I'm a reader. And more people, anybody who's a reader will know that feel. It's just like, oh my god, yeah, finger on paper. Yeah. Oh, it, it was just there. And I think that was what instantly attracted me to that side of the manga. I was like, oh, this is totally going to be writer and reader. And of course, new girlfriend interest turns out to be a writer. Yeah, and she's like a closet book nerd like she's she's got like a whole like she's got her otaku shelf and you like where normally in an anime you would expect this person to throw back the curtain and it would be a bunch of like magical girl figures and stuff it's all books and it's all like deep books and you know she does kind of reignite Kasuga's interest in books um to your question about whether or not I think he's in love with her love of books or in love with her I don't think he knows at first. I I don't think he knows, and he kind of make. What's really interesting is he makes this very clear to her at, at a certain point. He's like, you know, uh, look, I I need to tell you some things uh, before I can, you know, read your work or you know, which was a kind of a roundabout way of saying, hey, I need to completely level with you before we we try to 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 make this happen. But I think. You know, he wrestles with what he sees of Nakamura in her, and so I think his conflict isn't, do I love her love of books, or do I love her? I think it's, do I love Tokiwa for who Tokiwa is, or am I projecting Nakamura onto top of Tokiwa, and that's what I'm attracted to. But he doesn't run from that. He he takes that head on. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and it ends up being... Uh, you know, Kasuga in the second half is a changed man and, and, you know, has certainly learned the lessons of the, the, the past. And, you know, in a way it's sort of, it's sort of tragic because of the three of, of the original trio, he's kind of the one that really heals the most, mm-hmm. I think. Um, and you, and you see that because when you, 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 you meet up with Psyche again, fairly, fairly soon into this arc and, and she's got a boyfriend who looks a lot like Kasuga, and she's she's kind of an asshole and really passive aggressive, and you know she is she is irresistibly drawn to Kasuga again when when they reconnect, and she just has to talk with him and has to to see. She has to twist the knife. Yeah, if he's still in love with Nakamura or not, and and. You know, one way to read that is, oh, she's just being an evil little witch. And and the other way to read that is she's so damaged by what's happened to her that she can't move past it. And she's she's become this horrible shell of a person uh, that, you know, is really pitysome more than anything. And that, that was the way I interpreted it. I, I don't know if you guys felt the same way, but... I actually think that uh, Kasuga becomes Nakamura... Which is why I don't really buy the seeing Nakamura in the new love interest, because the way I, I think he sees her as more of himself, um, uh. and I think he turns into more of a Nakamura, which lends uh, the parallel to when he offers to take her away. Let's go off these rails and let's go somewhere. Mm-hmm. Let's go over the mountain, as Nakamura said. But you know, he he just applies a different metaphor to it and i love that parallel i love that switching and i love kasuga for becoming the stronger character that way 
I agree with that, but like straight up, like like visually in that manga, he is like at one point superimposing Nakamura's glasses on Togiwa's face. Yeah. So like yeah. <laughs> like 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 he is absolutely conflicted. Like she laughs in a way that Nakamura did when she was really happy. You know, there there was all kinds of things that at least at first reminded him of Nakamura. But the thing about the relationship and the economy at which the relationship developed balancing speed and trying to like move through it but also like lengthening out expectation enough to make it sellable and like make it really rewarding when it actually kind of does happen uh you know like through the course of that i think you do see that he realizes oh no like i love this person like this this person is great and i don't want to lose them but i want to make sure that i'm able to put all my demons aside and, and to be with this person with no regrets and without anything. So eventually they do go try to track down what happened in Nakamura. And that part gets interesting. Hmm. Chris, Chris, what are your thoughts on all of that? (laughs) (laughs) Um, I, I I agree very much with what, uh, what Jared was talking about. Um, He, he sees Nakamura in Tokiwa, but I think it's very quick that he identifies that that's what he's doing. Um, and he very quickly and very genuinely uh, grows to care for Tokiwa. I don't, I don't think it's a being in love with uh, the idea of her or the fact that she likes books. She's really the type of person that he should have met all along. She is the one who can complete him. And that shows by having it, having her character being composed of different pieces from Kasuga, Nakamura, and Saeki. Tokiwa is this amalgamation of all the various parts of him that were in the three, uh, the main trio. Hmm. And, and, and so you, you can kind of see the bad elements of Saeki are gone, but there's the good elements. And she is what he's needed and I really appreciate the way that the fact that he recognizes it, that's why he's able to take charge. That's why he uh, burst into her work and is like, I love you, bitch, come live with me. <laughs> um, well, and also, too, I think it's important to note that that he realizes that she's what he needs, but she does that, too. Mm-hmm. Like. Yeah. She she finds herself inevitably drawn to Kasuga, um, who, you know, on the surface, like, he's this, you know, disheveled, frumpy, quiet dude who, you know, would would not, you know, probably be most people's first choice. But the more that she talks to him, she knows that she can kind of reveal her true nature to him. And again, that's the most powerful kind of bond you can have in the series is being able to to drop all the masks and still be comfortable with one another. And they, she gets to that point with him, even though he isn't quite ready to be at that point with her. And can I squee for a second over Shimi's reveal of that, uh, that, that visualization of that intent? Um, it comes from when he's up in her room initially and he discovers that wall of books and he's looking at them in such a perverse manner as is noticed by 
the new girlfriend. <laughs> why, uh, why are you being creepy with my books? <laughs> and he's like, let me alone. I'm looking at fucking books. <laughs> and when, uh, when he, I, th- I think when he takes her notebook uh, that she's writing her own novel at, and this is, this is kind of why I love this uh, relationship. It's, it's writer uh, attracting reader sort of thing it's, it's like it's it's like you chris said uh it was like a relationship made to be um but when she attempts to smack it out of his hand she actually he actually grabs her hand and stops her and later on when she's breaking up with her current boyfriend to go with uh kasuga uh she mentions she mentions like you never broke down any walls to see who i really am he you know and that's a direct implication that Kasuga did, and that was that moment. He didn't let her shut herself in. He actually pushed forward to try to see more of who she was. And that's, you know, development of Kasuga as a character, a more active one. And uh, that, God, I love that fucking scene. It's the most John Hughes thing you ever see Oshimi do. I mean, it's really... Like, it's literally Kasuga running into this cafe where this girl works with her boyfriend and just blurting out, I love you. Please go out with me. And he has this sort of look of horror and desperation on his face. And that makes it look like, oh, this is going to go so terrible. (laughs) And, like, I felt like it was going to. I'm like, oh, Kasuga, you have (laughs) screwed up, my friend. You're in an Oshimi manga. <laughs> yeah, you're in the wrong manga for this. He doesn't burst into the scene full of confidence and, and power. And I know that I can do this and I'll get the girl. He's like, I'm the fucking worst, but you're the fucking jam. Can we do this, please? Oh, I, God. I kind of, in my mind, the, the voice actor for Kasuga in the anime, like he has this really great sort of nervous, screamy kind of, energy to the way he speaks and that was what i heard when i superimposed the the voice (laughs) over the panels was that and i'm just like who would who would want to be with that (laughs) you know like oshibi like and i love it because what you're seeing is you're probably not seeing reality you're seeing what Kasuga probably thinks he looks like to her, you know. Um, we don't get Tokiwa vision in this scene. Mm-hmm. We get, even though we're in an external scene, we're still, we're still seeing this from from Kasuga's internal, interior life kind of perspective. But sure enough, it works, <laughs> and she breaks up with the guy right there on the spot, and then they they're they're walking together. Almost. Wait, there's a detail in there I love. She actually asks, uh, asks her manager to take a... Oh, no, wait, she doesn't. It's the boyfriend who asks, uh, asks her... Asks to take his, a break. Yes. Yeah. And and he, like, pats the guy on the back. And yeah. the boyfriend gets it. The boyfriend knows he's trying to hold on to this girl that he's not right for. And he knows it. And then he he's coming to grips with it. And I don't really feel bad for that guy because he was creepy. But you know, there you got to have a little bit of sympathy for the guy in that moment. Uh, but what I was going to get to is is after she breaks up with her boyfriend and then she quits her job, um, they leave together, Kasuga and Tokiwa, and they're walking, and then they start holding hands. 
And it's this sort of symmetrical moment to when he was holding hands with Nakamura. Mm-hmm. But what's different about it is they're standing still and they just start laughing together. And it's just a great, like, it's a great, like, liberating scene because these two characters are able to, like, be free with their hearts now and, like, and, and, and be honest, you know, with their feelings. Um, but it's, it's, it's also kind of this cathartic kind of thing because Kasuga's finally found a real connection that isn't inherently unstable. No, it's a great read. I found myself thinking whether or not it's an inverse of the, the classroom scene and the bridge scene because they're, they're, they, they first have that sort of calmness and then the explosion. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But uh, not sure how much that reads. So Nakamura is sort of a, a ghost over this whole second half of the story. And eventually things come to a head where, you know, Tokyo actually wants to at one point go to where Casca's from. And Casca has this sort of like panic about it. Like, oh, no, you don't want to go there. There's there's nothing interesting there at all. Blah, blah, blah. Don't know and the real he, me. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and it's and you can tell it's he's 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 still struggling with trying to be honest with her, and then something happens where he's got uh, his grandfather sick and he has to go back, and you know at the end of it's it's like at the end of volume ten, you know right after he says to and it's like a panel or two after this where he tells Tokiwa don't worry, I'm never going to betray you. And you get that kind of Oshimi, like, oh shit, here we go. <laughs> and then and and then you end up, he, he does end up going back to where he's from with the implication being that he's going to have to face all his old demons. And, um, you know, what's interesting about that is where uh, normally the, the expectation Oshimi has set up at this point is that Kasuka is going to like screw this all up and like not be honest with Tokiwa. And then Tokiwa is going to be like, well, you went home without me. Why, why can't you open up to me and, and all this stuff? Well, but he actually ends up telling her, Oh, Hey, I have to go back home. Somebody's, somebody's sick. I'll, I'll keep in touch, blah, 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 blah. Um, and it's, that does not to say that it's all smooth sailing, but there's this subver- there's like this subversion of expectations that Oshimi does in the second half of the story where he's subverting so many of the expectations that you he set up in the first half of the story and I fucking love that from a narrative perspective. Mm. What are you grimacing about? <laughs> I was going to ask what what I, I I sense disagreement, Inc. Please please chime in. No, that was a that was a profound agreement. Ah. Oh, see, you're subverting my expectations <laughs> in the second half of this program. I am oshimiing this podcast like a shitbug. Let's let's talk about Nakamura, and let's talk about the end, like the climax of the story. Um, Chris, take us there. So while he's visiting home uh, for his grandfather's funeral, or he, he's sick, he dies like five minutes after they show up. Um, he ends up talking to uh, Kinoshita, Sayaki's friend, and Kinoshita is, she does not like her life, uh, that she's the one who got left behind in that town, uh, but she's still 
carries a lot of animosity towards Kasuga, so she taunts him with the knowledge that she knows where Nakamura is. Because this is kind of a... The, the, the specter that's looming over the second half is where is Nakamura? You know, how is she doing? But nobody knows a, a single bit about it. They absolutely no connection. So Kinoshita dangles that, that little apple. And, of course, Kasuga ends up taking a bite. But... This is where the subversion continues, and he, he tells Tokiwa um, right off the bat, this is what I'm going to go do. I have to confront this section of my past so that, so that I can move forward with you in my entirety. Uh, Tokiwa, she says, fuck you, I'm coming with you. I want to see this chick. And so there's something else, too, just to, if I can interject real quick. There's something else in that dialogue that happens where she's finished the novel that he encouraged her to start writing based off the plot book that he found that she let him read. And in this really kind of intimate, like soul bearing moment, she like turns over the manuscript to him and says, please read this. And then he basically says, I can't read this right now because I have to tell you basically here's what happened in the first six volumes of the manga of my life (laughs) or nine volumes, eight volumes, seven volumes, seven volumes. And, um, you know, he does that, and then she's like, okay, I don't know how to take all this. And and it seems like for a minute, like, the, the relationship gets on very rocky ground. But then he, like you say, Chris, he tells her, here's what I got to do to be able to be with you, to be able to read this this novel. And, um, yeah, then she's like, well, all right, I'm going to do this. I'm gonna no, <laughs> no, wait, wait. She has a condition first, and it's very important because she's like, no, no. Okay, if you're able to do this, then kiss me. And Kasuga fucking kisses her. Oh, that's true. That's and that's true. that's also important because he's very being forward. She, he's meeting expectations. He's not under a, a barrel of anxiety that uh, forces him away from something. He's actually, okay, I'm committed to this relationship. And he shows it with a kiss. And she ends up saying, okay, I'll go. He's not afraid of his romantic feelings, which... yeah he was with both Psyche and Nakamura. Yeah. So it shows real freaking growth. And that's a fantastic scene. It really is. See kids. There's a lot to this manga. It's pretty dense. I think we said that once or twice before, but have we? Can we say it one more time? Yes. This manga is fucking dense. There's a lot going on. It's, it's pretty amazing. Also when they meet uh, Nakamura or when they, after they meet Nakamura on that beach scene, when everyone's just sort of confronting everybody and uh, Kasuga asks. Let's talk a bit about, let's set that up before we jump right to it. Why? <laughs> so Kasuga and Tokiwa travel to the far off prefecture, wherever the hell Nakamura is. And uh, they find out that oh, Chiba, she's in Chiba, she's in, Chiba. in the Tokyo area. That she is, uh, her, her and her family own a restaurant. So they go to the restaurant. Her mom, her mom yes. who, was absent in her life for like, as far as we know, all of it until I guess the, all the, you know, the attempted suicide, which I guess gets her separated from pops. <laughs> She's living with her mom. No, I got the, I got the, the impression that they, the parents were already separated. Oh no, they were already separated, yeah. but like, that's what caused Nakamura to go from pops to mom. Yes. <laughs> yes. Like, Child services stepped in and went, okay, maybe I'll <laughs> We made a mistake. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, and and they they find Nakamura, and Nakamura looks like she's on psychedelics, um, hardcore mood modifying drugs. Uh, she is a zombie. She is a doll. Um, we don't quite understand what she's all about at this stage in her life, but it's the final volume of the manga, so her and Kasuga have to have a talk about it. So they go out to the beach, and they have a talk about it. That's what Ink was alluding to, and we're right back where we were, Jared. Hmm. Perfect. Now, Ink, go ahead. Okay, there's this four-panel <laughs> section where Kasuga <laughs> uh, addresses uh, Nakamura and asks him, uh, asks her point blank, why'd you push me out of the way before we were about to light ourselves on fire? And it's excellent. There's like four pages of just scenery and uh, hand placement and bodies without any any dialogue whatsoever. And then in the very next panel, after all that stillness, is just Nakamura saying, oh, I forgot. It must not have been important. I love that. How fucking crushing, though. Oh, it meant... It was his everything. Yeah, exactly. This is Kazuga searching for meaning in everything, and then all of a sudden, all his effort means nothing. Brutal. But you know, I love his response to it, though, because <laughs> it's it's kind of it's kind of appropriate. Like like you said, like the implication with Nakamura is that she's she's on some super super super, uh, you know, prescription medications to calm her down and um you know Kasuga hearing that just sort of becomes Nakamura and 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 she becomes Kasuga for a minute and so he starts like literally just shoving her around and like 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 pushing her around and 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 being really rough with her in the way that she used to be rough with him and it's almost this weird, like, you know, to anybody that doesn't understand their relationship, which Tokiwa is like that person, right? Mm. You're watching this man abuse this this woman, <laughs> like knocking her around the beach. <laughs> and Ugh. and then suddenly out of nowhere, she just, and, and the, this is my favorite panel in the whole second half of, of the whole, because the face is great. It's... It basically, you know, Nakamura just punches the crap out of Kasuga, <laughs> just 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 lays into him, and they basically just start tearing into each other and like fall into like the surf, just beach brawl, beach brawling and like knocking each other around. And Tokiwa like doesn't really know what to do, and she's kind of like freaking out, and she's like going over to them to try to do something. And then Kasuga grabs her and pulls her in. And then it cuts to really the climax of the whole the whole thing, which I don't I don't feel right describing. So everyone's smiling. That's all you gotta say. Is it's everyone's so beautiful. Smiling. It's this utter scene of joy. Like it's it's you you see like Kasuga and Tokiwa and, and they're they're happy looking at Nakamura, and Nakamura is as blissful and happy, she's laughing in this big, big laughing kind of way, of big smile, is. just a look of pure joy uh, and a look of pure freedom. Um, and they they basically part 
not too long after that, they're all laying there together on the beach in, in this sort of triangle, you know, symbolic kind of, kind of formation. And Nakamura says, uh, you know, go home, normal man. And, you know, basically don't ever come back. And, you know, just kind of saying goodbye to him. Wait, wait, hold on. If, if, if no one else has anything to say about the scene, I'm going to say it. Okay. Uh, this is a, the second half's classroom scene. And I would have died to see this animated. I really want to see what Nagahama would have done with this. Uh, because it would have been good. It, it, it is the fury and the eruption that is the confrontation. Uh, that is the epitome. Um, and all the characters as they are spread out uh, in the classroom scene, it's just Nakamura and uh, Kasuga. But here you have the three of them all laid out happy as opposed to just sort of exhausted and spent. Um, so it's a really great parallel. But, I, oh man, I would have loved and, to have seen this animated. <laughs> and Kasuga does for Nakamura what Kasuga does for Nakamura what Nakamura did for Kasuga in that first scene. He keeps pushing her and pushing her and pushing her until the mask falls off. And mm. it's, it's she just to sort of remember who she is, you know, and then she when she knocks the crap out of him, she does. And it's it's this beautiful moment of, of sort of restoring freedom to this person that he loves so much. And it's clear that they that they love each other. But that love, again, you know, for all of the sexual undertones that it had. You know, in its purest form, it's this raw platonic love, and the 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 whole scene is just so great. But you're absolutely right; it is it is the bookend to the classroom scene, um, and and you know, really where that kind of in one way shows those characters in 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 a, in a low point. This is this is. This is this is them in like a a, a a place of utter joy and happiness and fulfillment. And and this is another thing like where the rotoscoping approach to the anime would have been amazing because I can I can visualize how it would be shot. It just sun bleached, just drenched in sunlight. The the the, the true antithesis to the the classroom scene, the brightest of bright and the way that you can um, shoot the sun to shimmer on film is it, it's, it's not anything that you could re- reproduce in a pure animation environment. And just imagining um, what it would look like rotoscoped with the sun moving around in the background with these kids moving in their hair, like, ah, oh, rotoscoping was the right choice and yep. it would have been the best choice all the way through to the end. It, that could have been the greatest ending. We need season two. We can't ever get it because the original actors are grown. I mean, they, they could sub in more uh, other actors. It would just be a little disjointed of marathoning, but yeah, season two. I mean, I just, it sold so poorly. <laughs> no. <laughs> it was one of those rare moments where there was agreement between Japanese fans and Western fans, and it was pretty roundly condemned, um, you know, unfairly, I think. Um, so we, we will not get 
a season two of this no. unless Nagahaba wins like a trillion dollars. Yeah. Um, because I, I bet you money he would do it if he if he could. Oh yeah. That that was how I got all the Blu-rays, the Japanese Blu-rays. Wasn't because I was so crazy obsessive and I was there every week pre-ordering. I was one of the ten copies sold on the fifth volume. Um it, it's that it sold so poorly I got each volume for like fifteen bucks, which is fucking unheard of. For Japanese Blu-ray pricing, seriously, they 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 cut the price so low on Amazon. I was like, "Well then, okay." And it just it just breaks my heart. Um, not just it wasn't unfairly condemned; it was ignorantly condemned. A lot of it was focused purely on the rotoscoping. People expecting beautiful animation or just an anime-looking thing they were confronted with something very different and instead of giving it the opportunity to grow and evolve um they just poo-pooed all over it and that's the legacy it stuck with uh what is it on my anime list it was very close to the worst reviewed series in history on that site um after the first episode if you go to the my anime listing now you can see exactly the two categories of people that fell into the commercial um, response to the show. You see this gigantic spike of one out of 10. Like it's fucking massive. Then there's barely anything in between. There is zero um, in the four, five, six area. And then nothing but (laughs) nines and tens. It's the people who watched the first episode and had a psychotic reaction that created a negative stigma around the series, or you actually watched the damn thing and were blown away by by the finale. I think it's a fair question to ask, though. If you were going to have an anime staff animate this show in a more conventional way, who would you have do it? Oh, that's mean. I have my answer, but I want to see what you guys say. If you say you was, I'm gonna be really pissed. Yeah. <laughs> uh, damn. So my brain isn't quite thinking about names of specific uh, directors because I only remember a few specific directors, the ones that I like the most. Um, but I have a feeling that um, whoever directed Welcome to the NHK would do a really hmm. traditional anime-styled adaptation of this. Because Welcome to the NHK also really balanced that that light and dark within oneself so beautifully and perfectly um, over the course of that series that I think, I think he would really understand uh, the material here. It would be very different than what Nagahama ended up doing, not just from a stylistic standpoint, but in any regard. But I, th- I still think he would do a really good traditional adaptation. Oh, that's good. I don't. Mm. I can't. I can't imagine this series as anything other than it is. It, this 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 was the epitome of what it should have been. Oh, nothing would be better than it. Nobody was suggesting that ink. Nothing. Oh, I know, be I know, I know. It's just like I, I, I. It was so perfect. It was so dead on, so spot on. I really can't imagine this under any other directorial or script writing perspective. And also, shout out to Aki Atami, 
who did the script for this and who also did the scripting for uh, the adaptation of Mushishi. So, so like I was saying earlier, um, give me the staff that did March Comes In Like a Lion to do this. And while I think the result could be, it would certainly be, I don't think it would be better. No, no, I think it potentially could be, but it would definitely be different. Um, and the, and my, 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 my evidence for why that would work is when you look at the early part of March Comes In Like a Lion, we're like, we're really down into the depression with Ray, how dark it is, how moody it is, all that visual magic that they were able to put into that. And, and you take all of that goodness and you turn it to straight up evil <laughs> and you have those guys unleash that same kind of, of, of visual styling and directorial fucking monogatari all over that bitch but from like an evil kind of twisted perspective that fits Oshimi man that would be amazing like <laughs> rotoscoping is great don't get me wrong but I, I don't know that I completely and wholly buy that there's no better way it could be done I I I hope we see a remake of this at some point in the future when we're all old men and I hope somebody comes along and goes, nah, watch this. And then they just like melt, melt our minds with it. That'd be amazing. I await this day. I I would, I would rather, I I would be fine with someone re rotoscoping it too, though. And doing the whole thing. I'd be fine with that too. But I, I think, I think the staff from art comes in like a lion could absolutely have done this and would have done a absolutely insanely good job. Yeah, the the way that Shaft operates, I I love almost anything that Shaft makes because of their visual style. It, it's that that is not beaten for me. The Shaft would, oh my God, destroy Flowers of Evil. Like you think the uh, the dream sequence, episode eleven. Um, <laughs> you think the dream sequence is a little CGI for vortex. It's just kind of happening. It's like I said, lacking some of the grip from the manga, Shaft would destroy that scene. Like you just like snip that out and be like, here, put it on a wall, frame it. Yeah. Wait. Okay, I've got an answer. Okay. Uh, Mappa, Garo season one, a mix between whoever did that opening and <laughs> the rest of the series. Like because the okay. the mix of those two styles, I think interspersed and used wildly, would fit the series. I still that'd think be, I still think I still think rotoscoping is the only way to go because it's the only way to layer. But like if we we're just talking strict two D animation styles, I think uh, a juxtaposition of those two uh, would really would really serve the series well. Yeah, that would be an interesting take. I think. All right, so there's one other sequence we haven't talked about yet, and it's the other dream sequence. So the manga, the the climax of the story really kind of ends on that beach, but the there's sort of a denouement that happens that's 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 quite nice, um, and uh, I want to I want to talk about that a bit. Um, you know, before we before we wind this thing down, but um, how did you guys like the way the manga ended with those couple of chapters of sort of a you know one one of them's very dreamlike where it sort of imagines the future for all of the characters. Somebody's not muted again. Um, yeah, 
Um, okay, we're all recording. That doesn't matter. It's just more work. <laughs> um, but you know, we kind of we we see the future for all of these characters uh, through this kind of idealized imagining that Casca has while he's dreaming, and I really liked it because he gave everybody kind of a kind of a happy ending, <laughs> mm. whether they deserved it or not. And I think that's actually the the mangaka, it's Oshimi, sort of apologizing to the characters who he says in some of the novels, some of them had direct models. Uh, some of the people were, you know, modeled after people he knew and interacted with as a as a as a school kid. Um, yeah, like Nakamura explicitly was yeah. like that. So I think it's it's him giving these people happy endings, uh, phrasing, uh, for very. Uh, cathartic reasons it's like okay i'm gonna put this positivity out after all this all this angst like i really just want everyone to be good and happy um yeah i i think i think he's just a genuinely good guy who just finished penning and drumming himself into this really awkward manga and just saying you know let's take a breather (laughs) we've all gone past this now and yeah you know, I think in the same way that all authors care for their for their characters, you know, he definitely I, I tend to agree that that might be a little bit of him apologizing to these characters, which are obviously very important to him of, you know, man, I put you guys through some really heavy stuff. Let's 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 show you happy and well adjusted as adults. And even even Nakamura gets a bit of that. You see I mean she's still she's still kind of where she she ends up, you know, with her mom doing the doing the restaurant thing, but she looks happy. She looks, you know, at peace with herself. Um, you know, it's it's really fascinating. You see, kind of this whole trajectory of Casca's life all the way into like middle age. Um, that's really great. You know, where he starts a family with Tokiwa, and they they have a little girl, and Tokiwa is like a a famous writer and. You know, he's he's there being supportive, and um, that's cool. Even Psyche kind of ends up being a mom with with a, with kids and a family, and you know, it's um, you know they she's reunited with Kinoshita, Nakamura's reunited with her dad. You know, there's a lot of just like one after another, happy ending after happy ending after happy ending after happy ending, and and you think maybe it's you think maybe it's like a, a, a flash forward because the chapter right before it is another flash forward where, um, you know, Kasuga and Tokiwa are like either in college or, or, or just out of college. They're young 20 somethings, um, you know, still, still, very, you know, in their relationship, very much in love with each other. Uh, and they, they the the kind of the 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 last bit of quote unquote reality happens and they have they have this intimate moment together and it's a really interesting note you know to see them sort of sexually intertwined and like that's where it ends it's like hey adulthood boom stop the end you're done <laughs> you know and and then we go into the dream sequence and then we go into the thing we mentioned earlier where it's the the inciting incident of the whole story with, with uh, Nakamura's perspective instead of Kasuga's. Um, and I, I thought those were really interesting choices to end the series on. 
Well, I like the the the, the dream sequence. Is again, uh, it's Oshimi paralleling a previous sequence. It's that uh, Nakamura, amidst the swirling field of uh, uh, evil flowers, but this time it's uh, just sort of uh, Kasuga naked, with all his layers finally shed, and all the the, the leaves of the flower dispersing, uh, leaving nothing but you know clear skies, and. It was it was just a beautiful resolution to me. You know, something we forgot to talk about earlier was the the panels in the manga where Kasuga actually has the flower of evil in his hand and oh, crushes it. I so wanted to mention that. It's such a you good. You should have. It's talk a, about it now. Well, it's 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 just something that's used as sort of a transition between chapters. At first, there's this uh, this the uh, fist that's squeezing the ever-living life out of one of the flowers of evil with its eye sort of popping out between fingers uh not so graphic but that's what i like to remember it as and then later on in an actual story panel kasuga opens his his palm and there's this obviously flower-like smudge of ink on his hand and it was just it's almost like a scar yeah very much a scar and uh, it, it's it's just phenomenal because that's that's where Oshimi starts playing. W- well, one of the instances in which Oshimi starts playing with, you know, is this narrative or is this actual story, uh, or is or is this framing or is this actual story? And uh, yeah, it was bloody wonderful. God, can you imagine that? He he's in the dream and the the, the giant flower and do do do. As he's walking, and he looks at his hand, and the the ending starts playing. That is like the best ending theme ever. Is. Roundabout is a is a very drastic number two compared to this beast. Jerry, did so, you have anything else to say about the uh, the about the ending? The, well, the 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 flower, the the crushing in the hand. Oh, just I love the symbolism of it, where he's. He's taken this flower who usually when we see it visually, it's so massive and expansive uh, and kind of monstrous. And he's kind of reduced his his anxiety and his fear down to just into the palm of his hand. And, you know, it's it's almost like he's become a true Jedi master or something. He just like sees his fear and like contains it and then just crushes it. Mm. And that it's so symbolic of him moving on from the person he was in, in becoming this, this more assertive adult who's, who's seen some stuff, you know, (laughs) guy, this guy has seen a few things already. And, um, you know, he, he decides to not let it control him anymore. And, um, it's, it's a really triumphant moment. Uh, and, just kind of symbolic of his of his evolution in general, but you see, even after he does that, you see that sort of that ink stain, that scar on his palm, in in multiple kind of bits of imagery throughout the rest of the story, and it, it it's kind of like he's transformed, you know, and that's the mark of his of his transformation. Well said. Any other thoughts about just the the general ending? Or let me try that one more time. Do you guys have any thoughts about how just in general the ending went that you wanted to add? 
before we kind of started winding the thing down? <laughs> Honestly, I absolutely adore um, the ending to the manga, um, specifically the final chapter that uh, is through Nakamura's perspective. I had mentioned this earlier when I just in general talked about Nakamura as a character, um, but that final chapter, even though it's the same story we already saw from a different perspective, a perspective that is seriously disturbed um, and having uh, reality struggles, thematically for me, it it works in as, as a good juxtaposition to the previous chapter that shows everybody as adults, you know, you, you can get through adolescence and, and turn out okay. Uh, and then it just whips you right back around. It's like, it started from a very, very dark place. Um, but you see more about Nakamura as a character because of it. I feel it's, it's probably, I can't think of a conclusion that I would have liked. Um, if it, if it just ended with the, the Lord of the Rings endings where you get to see every character smiling and happy. If that was the very end of it, it would have felt cheap. It would, it would, it would have felt that the story got scared of where it was going to go. And it just said, Oh, everything's okay and happy. And then you get that final chapter and that's what brings it back. It's like, no, I know what's been going on the whole time. Um, let's loop it back around. It's a cycle. It's. I think that that was just a beautiful way to end it. It really moved me. It also, I think, critically shows us the last piece that we really never got to see until then, which is what does the world look like from Nakamura's eyes? And when you see the fact that she's basically constantly under assault by the flower of evil in a way that this own, the dark kind of emotions that she's dealing with that manifest in sort of these writhing, this writhing encroaching darkness that starts to surround her and how she's trying so hard to like keep it away. Um, and, and then how she sees Kasuga for the first time through all that is just really great. And, you know, it, 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 Right at the end, it sort of gives you this whole new lens to look at the whole rest of the series with, and it, it's you know how many manga could do that, you know how many how many manga have you read where it gives you not only the ending, but here's here's a way to look at the whole series in a completely different way than you have the first time through. I would argue uh, Dusk Maiden of Amnesia, but in a, a sort of reverse order. They do the split perspective uh, on the very first. Uh, well, it's the episode of the anime. I'm not sure how many ma- uh, chapters in the manga, but uh, they also mess with perspective a lot. But the ending to Flowers of Evil was refreshing for exactly the reasons you both said, but also something more for me. Um, you know, it's it's getting a rounder rounder close for Nakamura, but it's also you know, balancing out that light, happy ending versus the entire run of the manga and anime. Um, and it's also saying, you know, hey, this is going to persist. Don't worry. There are happy endings out there and there are ways to deal with them. Just don't deal with them with the ways these characters have. <laughs> <laughs> don't do that. Not, not good. 
And I thought it was it was a very mature way of ending this. Uh, very subtle, very good, and uh, it remains one of my favorite manga and one of my favorite anime. Yeah, and it's it's moments like this where where at the very start where I had mentioned that I view the series as very optimistic. Uh, it's a very positive series, and and this ending is is a big key to that because it shows that optimism, like you just said. Yes, it sucks, and it's always gonna suck, but it can turn out okay. This is just yes. <laughs> I mean, I, it it is it is a very optimistic series. If you if you only judge it by the first half, I think it I think you can come away with a a dimmer view of it. But when you look at the whole story, I think it's hard to make the case that it's anything that other than uh, you know. A, a really great telling of, of adolescence where, yeah, it's awful in those middle school years. God, it's awful. Like, you know, that's a crucible for so many people. And, and yet you can reach adulthood and make it through and be okay. And that's what the second half is all about. Mm. It's, it's one of, it's one of the first, I was telling Chris this earlier. It's one of the first full, manga series I've ever read and it's one of the first that I actually have all the whole thing and it's it's a treasure like I will keep this you know I will I will get rid of other things I will keep these volumes I will come back to these volumes it's it's such a beautiful painful uncomfortable great story amen fuck John Hughes <laughs> Uh, so we do have a couple of questions. Um, I, I think these are critical questions. <laughs> yeah, I'm uh, not prepared. They they are. Um, two of them are are from our dear friend Vinny, who right about this time a year ago was doing Go with us. Um, that screen gym, you can go check out that episode and, and watch Go. It's 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 Something. absolutely an animated program. It is good. You hush. <laughs> But uh, he asks of all of the flowers, which is the most evil? That would be the flower of evil. Next question. <laughs> I, I'm I'm totally gonna be cliche, but goddamn fucking roses, man! Don't come within ten feet of them; they'll cut you to ribbons. All those damn thorns—they <laughs> lure you in like Saeki. They're beautiful. They're perfect. They got thorns, bitch. Back away. <laughs> Uh, the second question, I, I have, I have no answer for this. I, I have no idea. Wait, wait, wait. Get, wait what's Google your first question? Answer Google. for the first question. Uh, of, of, uh, well, no, my, that's my answer for the first question. Of all the flowers, which is the most evil? Um, I'll have to get back to you, Vinny. I'm gonna go consult my monster manual and see what the largest hit night creature I can find. That's a plant, because <laughs> I have, I have no way. He is actually the most qualified person to speak on this. Yes. So I have I have no way to really to answer this question effectively other than falling back on what I do know, which is the hit dice of most monsters in D&D. Um the, I would say See, I'm just not really up on my plant monsters. That's the problem. You could say El Seed from The Tick. I, I could say Ilseed. I could say uh, the the plant from Little Shop of Horrors. I Ooh. could do that. That's a pretty good one. That yeah. that will be my answer. I would say that's probably about a 
10 or 12 hit die creature. It's pretty badass. Audrey um, number two. Uh, Audrey number two. <laughs> uh, so his next question is, what other plant organs of evil do you want shows about? Perhaps tubers of evil. See, I, I, I'm looking up some pictures of plant anatomy just so I can throw something, and it has nothing about a tuber. So I'm just going to pick the weirdest looking thing on here and say the vascular tissue of evil, uh, the gooey stuff in a leaf. That'd be pretty interesting. How gooey can the world be? I think that would just be a vegetarian version of the blob. <sighs> Not to say blob, that wouldn't be great. Blob nineteen eighty eight, baby, that'd be awesome. <laughs> do, do you have a, a particular plant organ of evil that you would like to see uh, a show about? Ink. I would say the tendrils of evil, but that's probably just hentai. <laughs> yeah, probably so. Probably so. That, that title might already be taken too. <laughs> yeah. I'm gonna go with the the stamen of evil. Also hentai. All, yeah, probably also hentai. Um, but but there you have it. Uh, the the last thing we had was from at Final Fury K on Twitter, and this is more of a comment that I feel really sums up kind of everything we just talked about, uh, but in a in a interesting way. So his his comment was, "God damn, the feel bad epic of the year." I recently watched this and felt awful. <laughs> Which, again, I think if you just watch the the anime and you don't get the rest of the story, I can I can understand how you come away with that. No way, the anime itself, man it it does something sick and twisted. I had this conversation with Ink a while ago. Yeah, when you're depressed, you listen to depressing music and it like crushes you in a way that lifts you. The, yes. That that release the 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 anime that that very tragic unveiling i i think that's still very optimistic and very positive because he's understanding i was trying to overcompensate for these inadequacies with this this ruse um and, and to to realize that to pull that back and be like all right now i can face the next step of my life with more honesty the anime makes me feel amazing this is like the cure like listening to The Cure, but like anime. Yeah. I can get down with that. It's uplifting for me. It makes me feel great. I watch episode seven and episode eight, and I just, that is my, my zen. That is my zone. <laughs> I, I, I have, I have the, the full track, uh, the original 2002 recording of the ending. I can't find the remixes that were actually used as the ending anywhere. Someone out there, them. please find them. You have them, thank you. Um, <laughs> but the the original seven minute re- release of that song, it's just it's so stilted. It's very uh, like math metal type, um, playing with time signatures, electronic bloops and bleeps that distort any sense of rhythm. I think it's like the most calming goddamn thing. I'll hit that song on repeat for like half an hour as I'm driving across this goddamn town and just feel totally mellowed and happy. And I'm here, man. And for, for those of you younger listeners, the cure is a band (laughs) from the 1980s that I highly encourage you to, to look at Spotify or whatever music platform you whippersnappers use nowadays 
and listen to them, uh, especially like while you're reading this manga, it'd probably be really good <laughs> pairing. So yeah, uh, Ink. Final thoughts. Well, before final whatever thoughts, thought you were about to say, I, I would <laughs> like to point out uh, post Twitter questions that we did not get any Twitter questions asking about the rotoscoping, which means one of two things: people have totally moved on from this and no longer care, or the people that really hated it in the beginning have totally moved on and let everyone else enjoy the series. Yes, possibly both. Those people, those people now I think are focused and not with, not without good reason on the golden Kamui bear gate. So excuse you. If if you, if you stopped watching golden Kamui because of the bear, I, I pity you. But anyway, that's right. But as Jared was saying, everyone else closing thoughts. If this is I, I see what you did there. Yeah. Ink. I mean, like Ink said, this is one of my favorite uh, things in anime and manga. The full stop of everything that's out there. It's easily in the top five somewhere. Um, it, it appeals to my cinematic tastes a lot, and uh, I've I've basically rewatched the show every year since it's come out. Um, and I, my appreciation and adoration for the series magically somehow deepens and grows with each viewing. I find something else. I find something new, something different that uh, interests me about the design, uh, the execution of the show, the, the soundtrack. Oh my fucking God, the soundtrack. This is, this is, this is Chris's anime this is this was made for me and uh when when it was airing by episode four i literally just dropped everything else i did not feel like watching a single other program for those three months because absolutely none of it was worth it because this show was that good and immediately meant so much to me um god damn is this amazing Please, everybody, go watch it. If you've held off because of the rotoscoping or the hate or whatever, give it a shot. It's it's the best. To echo what Chris just said, I think if you want something a bit different, if you're looking for something a bit more avant-garde than your average anime, then this is absolutely something you should check out and i would go beyond even just that simple reason to say it's it's a it's a really well done story uh it's a very powerful evocative story um and i think the animation is beautiful i think it's beautiful because it's very surreal but yet it captures real life in an authentic way that uh you know animation just can't do uh you at least conventional animation can't do it and and so um absolutely check this out if you haven't um now that we've spoiled it to death but um if you have seen it go back and see it again because i it's 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 one of those things that it's really affecting even another time through there's layers and layers and layers to this to the show it's so dense you you will get something out of it as you watch it more and more, you'll get something different out of it. And um, 
you know, the manga is still to this day one of my favorite series I've ever read. Uh, it's just really great, a, a, a really fantastic story of, uh, you know, a coming of age story with a bit of a dark twist and uh, definitely worth your time. And now, Ink, your final thoughts, sir. Uh, the manga is, is one of my favorite manga ever. Uh, I have not read that much, but this this is fantastic. This the the quality of both the anime and the manga is just leagues above most. So it deserves your attention. And, and man, if you want to deep dive anything, this has got enough meat for you to chew on. As you know, this podcast is going on at least two in some hours, probably three. Um, yeah. That there, there's a lot to dig into, and that's what I love most about art. So please consume this art. And uh, I think on that note, guys, um, well, let's start wrapping it up. Uh, Chris, where can people find you on the internet, uh, and and what all other wonderful things are you involved with? Oh boy, um, you can find me on the twitters at Gokufi. Uh, you can also find the podcast that I co-host with my best buddy, Corey, um, the Taiku Podcast. That's T-A-I-I-K-U, taikupodcast.com, where we cover mostly in a roundabout way sports anime and sports manga. We have fun with the, the definition of sports at times. Um, so definitely go ahead and give us a check out over there. All right. Yeah. I'd, Anything else? Um no. Okay. No, that's 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 fine. I, just, I was on the most recent episode of Corey's other podcast, Manga in Your Ears, which you can also find at taikupodcast.com. And I think that's it. All right. Good stuff to mention. Good podcast. Yep. yep the latter, yep. not the former. <gasps> Ink and I have both been on Taiku Podcast uh, a number of times. So we 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 frequently co- collaborate with you guys. It's always it's always fun to to get together with y'all. In fact, I am actually their bad sports anime correspondent. So the official, yeah, officially, you even have you have a name tag on the website and everything, so that they can find the sweet sweet garbage. Yep, because man, Ink sure does bring the garbage. Scorching Ooh. ping pong girls, baby. Wow, <laughs> you want to talk about a tale of two inks, ladies and gentlemen. Um, <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So, without further ado, Ink, please tell us where we can find you and all your incarnations on on the interwebs my, and beyond. My incarnations, your ink carnations. That would perhaps be the most dang, uh, evil flower. Um, <laughs> thank you. Uh, let's see on the Tweety Box. You can find me at Animated Ink, and uh, you can find me over as aforementioned on the Taiku Podcast as their official bad sports anime correspondent. I think we have a episode on Hanabado or is it uh no, Harukana Receive coming up. Yeah. Um uh, and that's about it. Jared. Um just stay here. Just stay tuned into Old Takuno Radio and I shall appear. Um I also occasionally tweet at Save versus Jared on Twitter. Not much else going on right now. That's fine. It's good. I've got some stuff I want to 
get to, but life is uh, a bit wild and crazy right now. So once it settles down, you'll see some more stuff from me. But till then, just just come back to Old Talk No Radio, and you'll you'll find me. Also, shout out to AJ Martinson. I'm not sure if we did so last episode, but she uh, she did the redesign for our new logo, and she's fantastic. And she takes commissions, so go hit her up because she's awesome. Yes, our, our new logo is so great. Uh, and if you were at AWA this past year, um, I was passing out little stickers with our new logo on them. I'm sure that will be something we do in future, uh, both Inc. and I, uh, as we travel to different conventions over the course of the next year. Uh, but yeah, yeah, we're super proud of uh, that work and just really thankful for AJ to, to have done that for us because it looks amazing with the new logo. And uh, on that note, guys, I, I think that's a show for uh, Chris, for Ink, for myself. We appreciate it, as always, you guys uh, sticking with us, uh, listening to our episodes. Absolutely, if you if you like what you hear, if you hate what you hear, if you're ambivalent about what you hear, um, go to iTunes or Google Play Music or anywhere where you're pulling down podcasts and give us a rating. We really appreciate it. Uh, we, we'd love to hear from you. Hit us up on Twitter at Old Takuno Radio. Um, absolutely check out our sister podcast, the Anagamers podcast uh, with Evan Minto and David Estrella, on which... I just actually appeared to talk about Castlevania, the uh, animated series on Netflix. It was a really good episode, uh, and I'm not just saying that because I know those guys. It was a really, really entertaining <laughs> episode, and uh, you know, a lot of fun. To, to have heard that. So definitely check that out. And uh, yeah, guys, thank you. Thank you again. And Chris, thank you again for, uh, for joining us today. Thank you very much for putting up with a worthless shit bug such as I. <laughs> Goddamn shit bug. And uh, from, from Inc., from Chris, from me, see you later, shit bugs. for Gil last year where everybody just did fish farts in harmony <laughs> it's good well actually yeah if you want to do that well we can't do fish farts because that doesn't work for this no. i think uh, that, i think that last clap bugs. was good shit bugs shit bugs yes i mean clearly shit bugs here all right okay here we go shit bugs shit bugs shit bugs, shit bugs. Shit bugs. perfect